0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210 599 5555.
1: All right. It is a very good morning out there. Afraid it's going to be another warm one. Driving in looking at that uh, big old red ball rising up in the east. But uh, here we are into September. The day's getting shorter. When that happens, you know. Things are going to have to cool down at least a little bit. I'm just like you, really ready for the next rain and <laughs> looking around the country at the flooding, talking to my friends up in Wyoming and about how wet it's been up there. And, by gosh, it's our turn for some of that moisture. But uh, that's a whole nother, whole other topic. Looks like we've got Rose and Steve and Frank all waiting to talk. That leaves one line open. Grab it if you like, 210-599-5555. Lots of things to talk about, but most important is what's on your mind. So let's just get started. Rose is first in line. Good morning, Rose.
2: Good morning. I have African violets that I've grown a long time, and recently they just started withering up and dying, and I'm wondering if what could have happened to them.
1: Um, What frequently happens to African violets is we grow them in soil that has too much peat moss in it, and that soil gradually breaks down and actually starts, you know, producing more toxic things. We also, there can be a problem with salt buildup in the soil, uh, depending on what kind of fertilizer you're using. And um, some people have a water softener. And, uh, well, most people have a water softener. If you're watering African violets in particular with softened water, it's so high in sodium They'll put up with it for a long time, but then all of a no, sudden... No, no, it... I
2: don't have a water softener, and I used to plant food from, you know, far African violets where you use a teaspoon, you no, know, it's a quarter teaspoon in a gallon and mm-hmm. continuously feed. And I've done um, it for years, and I don't know what happened to this group. All of a sudden, one by one, they started getting dead in the middle and just withering up and dying.
1: It's it is usually a water issue uh when they do that that kind of crown rot they get um mm-hmm. and it oh, usually right. that's what it would look like yeah and it usually results from in effect just the soil going bad because most african violet potting mixes are full of canadian peat moss it starts out they like it real well uh, in time, it just breaks down. That's why I like potting soils that are based on compost so much better. But um, when when that crown just starts rotting out in the middle, uh, it's a sign that something has happened to the roots. The most common thing is that the soil suddenly starts holding too much water, and that's what you know that that's what causes a plant just to go downhill. It's why I always recommend, because a lot of people go on using the African violet soils, but I think you're wise every couple of years, just, you know how you can start a whole new plant from one leaf. Every couple of years, start some new plants because eventually uh, the plants just, you know, just kind of wear out. Now, when it happens to several of them at the same time, that usually means something else is going on. And like I say, it's usually a sign that they are staying too wet and it's not because you're watering too often. It's just because the soil that they're growing in has broken down to the point that it is holding too much water. Um, They're one plant that's probably good at least every year or so, repot them, uh, even crumble away a little of the old soil and get some fresh soil around them. And that would be my best guess as to why you would have some of them just suddenly starting to get that crown rot after a lot of years. It's just that all of a sudden the soil is staying waterlogged and it's not the water that hurts but the water drives the oxygen out of the soil when there's too much of it. The roots have to have oxygen and when the roots stop getting oxygen they start dying and then pretty soon the whole plant does the same thing and it does exactly what you're describing. It's just the center, uh, it's just like the leaves collapse when if you go to raise them up, it just has turned to mush right in the center of the plant.
2: Right. I have one more question. I have a plumbago in a pot that I want to put in the yard, and I want to know when's the best time of year to do that.
1: Well, Dr. Kirby and I go off the air at noon today, so about five minutes after 12 would be just fine. <laughs> but no, so you can put it in. This
2: isn't, isn't, isn't a problem.
1: No, ma'am. It's, uh, it actually... If you could measure the temperature of the soil in that pot, it's much higher than the temperature of the soil in your landscape, and that plant's actually going to be much happier going into the ground than it is staying in a pot. Okay, okay, thank you very much. You're sure welcome. Thank you for the call, Rose. And uh,
3: next in line is Steve. Good morning, Steve. Morning, Bob. I've got a question about... trans uh, uh planting um succulent and cactus uh cuttings mm-hmm. okay uh last night a neighbor gave me um some some cuttings from these succulents that um, have been surviving the drought with really minimal care, which is what I'm looking for <laughs> so <laughs> is this um, things for the yard and, uh, or course, things that are growing in pots they're in pots okay okay and one of them is has it like a they're really long woody stems mm-hmm. uh and then there's uh, soft little leaf pads that, that come out on either side about every inch or so, o- opposite sides all the way up. Um, so I don't have any idea what they are, but I'm just oh, wondering about uh, – go ahead.
1: Yeah, I say you've narrowed it down to about 1,000 plants. I know. <laughs> the possibilities but, uh, at this so point. I'm
3: just kind of wondering about – I'm going to stick them, but should I – you think I should try perlite or regular soil?
1: And so they have no roots at this point. They're basically cutting no, off cuttings his or her plant stems. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Perlite is by far the best thing to root them in, and okay. um, keep them where they're not getting direct sun, but where they're getting very bright light. How long would you say these stems
3: are? Uh, two inches, four inches, six inches? Oh, well, this one's at least. One, I've got them like every like a foot or six uh-huh. inches. Okay. Um, they, they were they were like two feet coming out of the top of the pot. They're really long stems coming out of the pot.
1: And they have leaves Real all quick. the way up and down. You see pairs yes. of leaves about an inch apart. What you're going to yes. need to do is out of cutting that big is not likely to root. It's got too okay. many leaves and it's going to transpire too much moisture. So if you've got one that's 12 inches long, I would cut it into three pieces. Uh, you'll be much okay. better at rooting three 4-inch pieces than one 12-inch And, of course, cut just above a pair of leaves. And um, you should be extremely successful in rooting. Root them in perlite. And don't worry about, you know, keeping the perlite too wet. You want that perlite to stay moist. And as you hear me say all the time, water doesn't hurt anything. It's a lack of oxygen that causes roots to die. And so um, you could be, a commercial grower would be wetting that perlite ten times a day, you can probably do it once a day or maybe e- even every other day but keep the perlite moist um this kind of weather this kind of heat they're going to root quickly i think you probably have good roots on them within 3 or 4 weeks at that point you could transfer them to a good uh, just a good cactus and succulent mix and they'll just take off and keep on growing but uh it the most important thing from what you've told me is cut them down into uh you know, smaller lengths and uh, they'll root much better. Of course it shouldn't be a problem since they have leaves on them, but you know, do you do have to remember which is up and down. People sometimes take, you know, a bunch of cuttings from a plumerry or something like that and uh uh if you've cut both ends and it's it's kind of difficult to tell which end goes down into the perlite and which goes up. I've resorted every now and then taking a magic marker and just putting a little arrow on it uh, with different kinds of plants that, uh, that that really look about the same when you cut them. Uh, but I think with what you're describing, it's going to be pretty obvious because if you cut just above a pair of leaves, then obviously you've got a long stem uh, that you'll push down maybe halfway into the perlite. So. But it, it for whatever reason, uh, if you're cutting a bare stem, uh, just be sure that you know which end is up, literally, so that you'll get right. it in the rooting medium. Put it in upside down. They don't do too well.
3: Okay. Well, if I cut this right above uh, one of the two leaves that coming out, there's less than an inch of stem before the next leaves. Okay. Well, that's fine. You've got, if you can get a oh, half, three quarters
1: of an inch, press, press the cutting down into the perlite. And what I will frequently do is take a pencil and kind of jab a little hole down in. It kind of collapses back in on itself. But where I can, I'll I'll take a pencil or something like that, poke a hole down into it. And if the perlite's moist when you do this, it makes it even easier. And then you can push the, uh, you can put your cutting in without having to force it down into the perlite and risking
3: breaking it. Okay. Now I have one other, uh, more of a cactus. This has super spiny stems. um, And comes up, and there's like a clusters of leaves up at the top that come out tw- upward. Uh, they're each about an inch long, and then it has tiny little pink flowers. Again, it's probably not helping too much, but I'm wondering if that's the same process for this really very it would, cactus. It would be
1: exactly the same process, but that's not a cactus. Uh, oh. If you – yeah, in a cact <coughs> – excuse me <coughs> – with a cactus – Its spines are actually modified leaves. It has no separate leaves. When you have a plant that has a spiny stem and separate leaves, it's almost uh, always a euphorbia. And it's very interesting, you know, very interesting study, so to speak. Uh, Euphorbias evolved in the same environment in the old world as the cacti evolved in the new world. And so they've developed a lot of the same structures, thorns to protect them from things that want to eat them. Um, most of your euphorbias are going to, uh, in nature, they would have a wet season and a dry season. And typically, they drop all their leaves at some time of year. Uh, usually, when they start putting leaves back on, they come out and bloom. In this case, uh you know, you said with pink flowers. Uh, my suspicion is that it is probably something called a crown of thorns. It's uh, believe it or not, it's first cousin to a poinsettia. Uh, if you look oh. up crown of thorns, see if that's what it that's what it looks okay. like. Yeah, I'll check. The that o- out. Yeah, the only difference in the way that you will root those when you you're going to find that they have a very milky sap, and you want to let them seal over. You want to let them callus over, probably just overnight and then put those cuttings in perlite exactly the same way you do your more succulent plant. And uh, the, the crown of thorns are a little bit more difficult to root. You may only root three out of four on those, but the process is exactly the same. Uh, in cooler weather, we have to really keep the euphorbias warm as far better if you have a propagating mat or something to put them on. But this time of year, <laughs> obviously, we don't need to provide any extra heat, and they most all of them will certainly root for you. With them, I think I'd be sure that they don't get any direct sunlight because it's going to take them a little longer to root. Uh, your more succulent plants, you know a little morning sun's okay while they're rooting, or just really bright shade, but on the euphorbias, they wanna be bright, uh but you don't wanna have direct sunlight hitting them while they root
3: okay, um yeah, that was the other question was about uh letting them callous over they've been in in a bag like an open bag overnight mm-hmm. but what they're obviously going to be fresh when i cut those other long ones should i wait right let those well, callus over or just
1: no you don't need to worry about callusing over on the succulents but on on a okay. euphorbia with its milky sap you very definitely want to callus just for just for 24 hours or so okay well i'm
3: gonna get busy on this before it gets too hot
1: <laughs> <laughs> you get out and have a good morning and have a happy labor day tomorrow okay thanks you too bob appreciate Thank it. you Bye. steve uh-huh goodbye all right, uh, Frank, hang on just a second. Let me uh, make a little money for the station here so they keep me on the air. I get to talk to you about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And once again, it's such a pleasure talking about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. I, I get kind of amused at the companies that sell the old uh, asphalt shingles because they're always telling you when it's cold how badly the coal damaged your roof. Now you're going to be hearing about how bad the heat was, how the heat really damaged your roof this summer and might need to replace it. If you get a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home, you don't worry about weather. They're simply a durable, lifetime-quality roof. Like Danny Bowes says, do it once, do it for life. Their roofs are meant to last as long as your home does. And uh, matter of fact, they do new construction as well as roof replacement. So if you're building a new home or an office tell the builder you want southwest metal roofing systems to put the roof on that's what we did with our groundwater district office up in Bernie and you know we're not we'll never have to worry about that roof they stand up to weather they stand up to hail they stand up to wind they're simply built to a much higher standard than most other roofs are plus they're good looking plus they're energy efficient that saves you money most insurance companies will give you a discount on your homeowner's policy when you have a southwest metal roofing system roof on your home and there are lots of choices and looks, different colors and different styles of metal, it's just there's no reason not to put a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home. They cost very little more than a shingle roof that's going to have to be replaced many times over the life of your home. Why not put on a roof that will last as long as your home does? It's easy. Find out. Just give them a call, 210-822-6868, 210-822-6868. Tell them you want a roof like Bob Webster has on his house or like we have on Shades of Green. We love our roofs from Southwest Metal Roofing Systems.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening. Don tells me Frank is the only person waiting, so if you've been getting a busy signal for a few minutes there, great time to dial 210-599-5555, and we'll get to you pretty quickly. Right now, good morning, Frank. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm off to a good start. Looks like a beautiful morning out there. Wish it was 20 degrees cooler, but, you know, we can all wish it'll happen one of these days before we're ready.
4: Well, my challenge is that I travel back and forth to Middle Tennessee every few weeks for work and then come home. But it's an odd climate adjustment for myself. Oh,
1: I'm sure it is. Uh, Northern part of Middle Tennessee or the southern part?
4: Southern part down by uh, Tullahoma and Manchester area.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's where... That's where some of my family lived uh, 200 years ago down in that area. In The late 1700s, I think. One of the old uh, one of the old homesteads is still existing, and uh, they've got. It's been several years since I've been there, but it is. Uh, it's a pretty part of the world. Uh, they also make a lot of Saturn automobiles down there. I understand.
4: Yes, they do. They have a lot of plants down there. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Okay, so uh, the first question is from my wife. She has a catnip that survived the winter in our plant house,
5: mm-hmm.
4: but it's died back a couple of weeks ago, and it's in shade on the back porch. She had to do a major trimming. It's down to nothing. She applied some super drive, and when will it come back? <laughs> oh, will it?
1: <laughs> or will it? I heard that in the background. It probably will, but nature really didn't design that plant to be a perennial. Uh, catnip is, in many cases, you know, an annual that just freezes and goes away in the winter months. So, um, if uh, I, I wish she had saved some cuttings to root, because you can perpetuate your your catnip almost indefinitely by simply periodically taking some cuttings and. In effect, uh, you're just getting a whole new root system. You're getting whole new plants when they root and start out. You've done the best thing you can possibly do, putting some Super Thrive on it. Uh, when you see new growth, a little has to grow would also be a good idea. I'll give you probably about a 60%, 70% chance it's going to come back. But like I say, it's just it just rarely lasts for more than a year or two. And this is why it's good to you know keep some more cuttings coming on. So... Um, We'll keep our fingers crossed, and uh, um, but it's they—they they just don't live forever. They're not as long-lived as some herbs are.
6: Okay. okay. Thank you, Bob. <laughs>
4: okay, so hey, the, you're
1: welcome. Um, yeah.
4: Is the little background is we live out in Spring Branch, uh-huh. and we had two very large old-growth cedars that were taken out by Mother Nature po- during the freeze. Uh-huh. One had a trunk of about twenty inches, and the other one had a trunk of about thirty-two inches. Wow. Unfortunately. We got really used to their shade in the backyard and uh, grilled and everything out there. So now we're looking. We, they had to be cut down by Etter
1: all yeah. the
4: way to the sun. They weren't able to be saved. What's our choice? I've heard you say that um, the best time to plant is in September and October.
1: Well, the best time to plant is five years ago. But the second best time <laughs> to plant is is really uh, if you're going to be there or if she's going to be there while you you know, make a living. Um, You can plant any time if it's going to be a case where watering is going to be a little less regular then October November are the best months to plant but as long as somebody's going to be there to be sure that the trees get what they need uh, you plant this afternoon. The fastest growing tree that you will plant is going to be a Mexican sycamore. It's uh, it's not like an oak tree that may live 150 years it's uh, going to live probably 50 60 years but it's going to give you, it's going to be a big shade tree in uh, five years or less. It grows that fast. Um, if you want to plant a couple of more long-term plants, you could plant some bur oak, you could plant a chinkapin oak, you could plant uh, lacy's oak, cedar elm. Um, there are a number of trees that, you know, will be, will be there for your great-grandchildren, but unfortunately, they're not going to grow as quickly. And I'm sure you would like to have that shade back tomorrow. And the tree that will give the tree that will give it to you most quickly is going to be a Mexican sycamore. They have very few problems. They uh, um, they require a little supplemental water when it gets as dry in nature. You always see them grown along a an old creek bed or river bed or something like that. But that's the tree that's going to give you the the fastest growth and get you the shade back most quickly. Um, if you say, well, I just have to have an oak, the so-called Mexican live oak, the Quercus polymorphous, some people call it a Monterey oak. That's the fastest growing of the oaks, and uh, a few of them suffered a little bit of cold damage, but, um, you know, we've We've got a number of them planted. My business partner has several of them around her home and property, and uh, none of us lost any of them at all. They, they came back out even where they got a little nipped. But uh, uh, the Mexican live oak or Monterey oak is the fastest of the oaks, but uh, um, if you want the fastest shade possible, Mexican sycamore is what you're looking for.
4: So when purchasing a tree, what are we looking for here? How old? I mean, are we looking for trunk size, overall height?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, when you when you buy a tree, you're buying time. Uh, you can buy a Mexican sycamore in anything from a five gallon container to a forty eight inch box, and the size goes up and the price goes up. You're just paying for how long it took the grower to grow that tree. Um. I would. The only things I'll tell you, really, to avoid, uh, avoid a real big tree in a real small pot, because a big tree in a small pot is going to already have some girdling roots. You're going to have to kind of bust up the root system when you plant it, or somewhere down the road, uh, this this problem of girdling roots is going to be a, a real big issue. So, I uh, get a tree that's appropriately sized. Um, I would avoid a tree that has real narrow angles on it because. When a branch makes a real narrow angle with the trunk or with another branch, that's always weak wood. That's the wood that's gonna break in an ice storm or a wind storm. The limb that comes out more or less horizontally is going to be the strongest limb. And uh you know, I wouldn't hesitate to put my weight on a on a one inch diameter limb if it was coming straight out from the trunk. If it was coming up at an angle, I'd be reluctant to, you know, step on a limb that was three inches in diameter. So you're looking at the overall shape Keep in mind that limbs do not move upwards as the tree grows. I'm amazed at some people that, that think somehow that limbs that's two feet off the ground now is going to be four feet off the ground, you know, in a few years. No, if it's two feet off the ground now, it's always going to be two feet off the ground. So, um, and eventually those limbs are going to come off. What you're going to do for the first few years of growth is uh, every winter you're going to cut them back to where those little lower limbs are about six inches long because everywhere you have foliage up and down the trunk, each, each leaf is like a little sugar factory pumping nutrients back into the trunk and the trunk is going to grow much more quickly in diameter, fill out much more quickly, and then when the Trunk gets to be maybe six inches in diameter, which is probably going to be five years down the road. Then you go back and cut those little limbs all the way off. But just choose a tree that has a propensity to make flatter limbs coming out rather than uh, ones that come out at a more severe angle. Beyond that, I the the best way to tell how healthy a tree is is always look at the newest growth. And this would be a houseplant or anything else. If the new growth looks good, don't worry if some of the older limbs and leaves are messed up a little bit from shipping or whatever. But if the new growth looks good, you're buying a healthy tree. And i say beyond that, you're just paying for time. And uh, people say, how big should I buy? Well, number one, I tell them, buy the biggest tree you can afford. Where you are, you can probably dig a pretty good hole. And uh, if you were in Stone Oak or if you were in uh, Fair Oaks, I'd tell you, well, dig the hole first. Don't buy a tree bigger than you can dig a hole to plant, and you never want to dig a hole and you know have it just be a bathtub that holds water around the roots. It's it's always a good idea to dig the hole first, fill it with water, be sure all that water drains out within a few hours. But uh um it it just it comes down to budget. And if you say, well, I can, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to pay more than 100 hundred, hundred and fifty $150 for a tree, then you're going to get a 15-gallon tree that's probably already 8 or 10 feet tall, and you get a very nice tree. And the nice thing about a 15-gallon tree is uh, one strong person or two ordinary people can lift it and move it and plant it. You go bigger than that, you go to a 30-gallon tree or a 45-gallon tree or a 24-inch box, those trees are going to be bigger they're going to be more expensive and whoever plants them is probably going to have to have a bobcat or you know something to move them with so it it really the size of the tree is up to your budget and uh you know and and once again if it's if these are in the backyard and your home is such that it's difficult to access the backyard then you're gonna to have to buy the biggest tree that you can get through the gate so uh uh, it's a long way of going about saying that I can't tell you how big a tree to buy. Those are the things you need to consider when you make your tree selections.
4: Okay. The follow-up question on that, and I'll let you go, is a stump remover. We have the we want to put it close to the pro, uh, close to where we had the cedars. Uh huh. So how will stump remover affect removal chemicals? For one of a better way to put it, affect the new tree.
1: Um, the product that is uh, the active ingredient in stump remover is a fertilizer. It's a synthetic fertilizer, and it's not anything that, uh, you know, that I'd be using on a real regular basis, but it's actually going to make your tree grow faster than slow it down. Potassium nitrate is what it is. Potassium nitrate reacts with the cellulose to form something called nitrocellulose, which is uh, in a highly refined form. That's what they use for powder and shotgun shells. So, Um, it's not going to be harmful at all. Um, I would move probably three or four feet away because ultimately you're going to end up with uh, the soil is just going to collapse as the underground portion of those cedars rots away. So stay two or three feet away from it. Um, If the sump is something you don't want to look at from day one, um, there are companies that have what's called a tree grinder, that they are a stump grinder that they sit right down on top of the stump and it just just chews it up about six inches down into the ground. So, if you want instant stump gone, uh, you can get somebody <laughs> with a stump grinder to do it. If you are a little more patient, you drill some holes, you fill them with a stump remover, the potassium nitrate, give it a little time to react with the wood and for us to get out of severe drought and fire restrictions. And uh, then you just put a handful of charcoal briquettes on top, light, and it it doesn't flame up. It just smolders its way down into the ground, and it's totally gone. Or you can just ignore it. I mean, it'll take 10 years for a cedar stump, or or maybe even longer than that, to rot away naturally. But uh, it's not a problem. It's not going to be a problem for your new tree that you've planted in that spot. Okay. Hey, thanks for that great information. Well, good luck with your tree, and uh, remember when you first plant, and uh, like I say, you can plant this afternoon if you go out and find a good tree, but in addition to watering the soil properly, just every time you think of it, take your hose and spray up and down the trunk, Uh, you'll be amazed how much growth that will put on, and I think you'll be truly surprised if you're ever over our direction uh, you can look out in our parking lot and see a couple of 30-foot Mexican sycamores that have been in there just a little over 10 years. So uh, they do grow and make a beautiful tree pretty quickly.
4: Do you have trees at your place for sale? We do.
1: We don't have super big trees. We have 15 gallons because we don't get anything bigger than two people can manage. But uh, we do. You can check Phanix. uh They have good quality trees. And, uh some of the other people do there are some big nurseries that are pretty pricey on what they sell that I won't mention any names but uh do shop around a little bit and uh uh and just find a good quality tree there're pretty out there i can tell you for a fact that the biggest grower biggest wholesale grower of trees uh, released a bunch of them recently. Most of the nurseries I know have gotten their best shipments of trees they've had in two or three years. Uh, what's been going on for, for the past couple of years, at least, is the growers keep putting small trees in bigger and bigger pots because they can charge more money for them. But I have to say, we got a shipment last week, and I think uh, some of the other nurseries did. that are probably best quality and the best selection of trees that we've had in two or three years now. So, yes, uh, there lots of good nurseries have lots of good trees.
4: Okay, sir. Thank you very much. Have a great week.
1: Wait, let me ask you one more question. Um, are are you in the CPS Energy service area? No, we're Pertinalis. Okay, okay. They don't have it. CPS Energy has a program, and I don't know if it started for the fall yet, where they give you a $50 rebate for every tree you plant in the right place. So uh, I was going to be sure you check into that, but I don't think Pertinalis does. You might call them and ask them and suggest that they get in with the program because it's a good thing.
4: Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You bet. All right. Well, my wife works in town. She'll be probably visiting your place soon.
1: Well, come by anytime. Uh, we close for Labor Day tomorrow, but that's uh, one of seven days a year we close. And I know Fannix is closed. I think most of your better nurseries close. So y'all enjoy a holiday tomorrow, and uh, we'll all be looking forward to helping you whenever you're ready. Yes, sir. Thanks. Thank you, Frank. Goodbye. All right, let's get a break in here, and I get to talk to you about Fanix Nursery, as a matter of fact. And Fanix uh, wanted me to tell you about a couple of different things. Uh, they're going to have their fall vegetable gardening seminar. It's going to be coming up next Saturday morning at 10.30. I think David Rodriguez will be over there doing that. But uh, if you want to learn all about uh, vegetable gardening in a seminar fashion, uh, anyway, Fanix is doing it next Saturday morning, and uh they're, uh, you know, they'll be happy to see you. While you're there, you're going to find that they've got some pretty good sales going on. Now, all banana palms and all bougainvilleas and all hibiscus, uh, those things are all 30% off. The plumerias are 20% off. They're trying to get that stock down before cold weather hits, and they've sure got a lot of pretty plants to offer you. And, of course, they have the fall vegetables, um Maybe you're thinking about tomorrow would be a great day to, you know, put something on the grill, but you don't have a good grill. Well, head over to FanX today and check out those Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories. A lot of people I know just absolutely in love with their Traeger grills. And, of course, if you're looking for neat outdoor equipment that you can use early Sunday morning without disturbing the neighbors, check out that ego battery-powered, lithium-ion battery, battery, lithium ion battery-powered equipment. It's quiet. You will be amazed at the power those things have, and uh, that's another thing Phanix is carrying these days. Check out the Crate myrtles. Just a fun place to go visit. Almost 90 years sitting on that same piece of ground in southeast San Antonio, over there on Home Greed Road. For all the details, check them out online at Fanic Phanix, F-A-N-I-C-K, PhanixNursery.com.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening. Clint and Lewis are my next two callers. Clint is first in line. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How's it going? Ah, it's going along. Old sun's up, shining down on us one more day and not a cloud in the sky. So welcome to South Texas.
7: Another barbecue going on. I tell you what, I got so much to do outside today.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, drink that Ultima, wear that broad brimmed hat to make your dermatologist happy, and uh, uh, keep lots of fluids going in. It's, uh, it's, you know, if you can get in the shade, the temperatures aren't that bad. But man, that sun just, uh, it's just searing. But you already know that you're an outdoors guy.
7: Oh, oh most definitely. I got a question. I think I remember you said something about the azomite probably two to three times a year is that correct
1: that is what and, and we're sterile experimenting with it i will look forward to hearing your results but uh i've used it more on pots than things in the ground although it, it seems to work well on both and uh i find on the pot plants uh, like periwinkles and things like that that have a tendency to yellow doing it about every three to six months just keeps them a beautiful green color. I was talking to the people that actually package the azomite and uh, they said they're the same way. That They're thinking maybe once every six months uh, if it's something that is prone uh, to micronutrient deficiencies. And the uh, nice thing about the azomite is you don't have to really worry about whether it's iron or zinc or magnesium or what because all those things are in the azomite. But um, yeah, and, and what I'm doing is more in pots and it seems like about once every Oh, three or four months is what we're doing with them. So uh I just say, you know, make a note. Put a write down the date when you apply and uh see when you need to reapply. I'd love to hear.
7: I wouldn't ever thought it would uh I'm kinda of looking like I'm leaning towards a nutrient deficiency, but with all the uh trees I've had I got that was put in by a previous owner forty years ago, I got live oak, uh, various uh, pecans, and they're all huge
1: mm-hmm. yeah
7: and everything else i had trouble with even yeah the mexican sycamore folded up on me after about two months so I, was, I must be having a serious nutrient problem in the ground
1: well again you've you've sent some stuff off uh to uh Noe down there at the soil labs and he should be able to help you quite frankly it's turning out to be water even people that think they're watering enough um, that, that subsoil layer is so dry and it is so hard to get it remoistened that, uh, um, especially on a thirsty tree like a Mexican sycamore, I'm, I'm going to tell you it's more likely, more likely a water issue than soil. If it's, if it's a nutrient issue, you will see it. The problem doesn't happen suddenly. You'll see, uh, you know, uh, the leaves will decrease in size. You'll have, uh, what they call venal necrosis, or you may actually have, uh, uh, you know, actually chlorosis showing up on the plant. So um, I I, I kind of doubt that with everything you do, you're looking at a lot of nutrient deficiency, uh, especially on something like a sycamore. And uh, I tell you what, three inches of rain would make a big, big difference in a lot of things on my ranch, and I'm sure on yours as well. Almost
7: definitely uh, as dry as it's been. I'm having to water some things every other day. Yeah. Soil test. I'm sorry, bone dry, and I'm thinking that that sandy loam I am on is also has a tends to wick away from where it's at.
1: That's exactly right.
7: Um, well, I think a combination of things. But uh, I tell you, what, my pecans and my oak. Live oaks—they must uh, have a really good long tap root, and I think they're hitting part of the carrizo because it's not. Uh, well, my well's static at 28 feet, uh-huh, and they've always looking good and green during, even during the drought. So,
1: well, the other thing, Plant, is that you know before you were there to help them, those trees were forced to. You know grow a really widespread root system just to survive and if they're big old trees they've been through droughts before they went through the drought in the 50s They, you know who knows some of these trees are so old I understand there was a horrible drought back in the 1890s and uh, these trees unlike trees sitting in the yard where somebody's had a sprinkler system going since the day they planted them these trees had to put roots out to the next county just to survive And I'm like you, I've got pecans, I've got oaks, and the ones along my creek, which dried up a while back, you know, they're really suffering. The ones out in the field 100 yards away, they're lush, beautiful green, and pecans are loaded up with nuts. I doubt the nuts are going to fill out and develop into much as dry as it is, but uh, those trees act like they don't even know there's a drought on. But it's simply because they were forced to develop such a widespread root system. And I'm guessing the St.
7: Augustine and the other grasses are not so uh, unhappy with the deficiency of minerals because once I got here and put out the growing green and the rain came, came along, I had the thickest, greenest uh, St. Augustine <laughs> you could see. <laughs> well, and, and I- you
1: stop you stop and think about that. A, a St. Augustine, a runner of St. Augustine grass, only has to support a leaf blade that's three or four inches long. A pecan tree has to support something that's sixty feet tall and fifty feet wide and uh yeah, the grasses uh they're it doesn't take as much to keep them looking nice. It takes more water, but as far as nutrient, um uh, they're they're pretty darn easy when you get right down to it. It's water is always the big issue and uh whether it's Saint Augustine or Bermuda or anything else, that's why uh, you know, 150 years or 200 years ago, uh, so much of our country was just rolling prairie, prairie grasses out there because they survive with little or no help from uh, anybody other than Mother Nature, and they're pretty pretty darn tolerant, whether it's drought, whether it's fire, whether it's heat. Uh, they keep coming right on back.
7: Now, on the St. Augustine, how deep do the roots tend to usually go?
1: It all depends on how what your soil's like. Obviously, uh, they're going to go down to where they hit either water uh, deficient soils or whether it's just super hard. Um, good soil, your Saint Augustine. I'd say your roots would probably go down twelve inches. Wow, to about twelve inches.
7: Well, when it was always nice and thick, I could go at least a week without without a good watering from the sprinklers. Oh yeah, them, and I always kept oh. it that nice and tall. So.
1: Yeah, and uh, those are the two secrets. So it uses less water when it's taller, and uh, there's no grass out there once it's established, whether it's Zoysia, Bermuda, or St. Augustine, that isn't perfectly capable of doing well on water once a week. Now, some of these fescues and things like that that we shouldn't be planning to begin with, that's another story. But uh, if you... And and you know how to take care of plants. Your your grass, I would be amazed if it ever had to have water more than once a week. And wants to be watered thoroughly then. And, of course, when it cools off, it'll take even less. But people, I, I love what uh, old friend Rob Griesbach with USDA told me many, many years ago. He said a plant will only grow as much root as it needs to support itself. And people that are, you know, watering five times a week and watering very shallowly, uh, that grass is going to develop a very shallow root system, and it's not going to develop a deep root system because it doesn't really need it to support itself. The person who is watering weakly and watering thoroughly, that grass is going to develop a nice, deep, strong root system because that's what it needs to survive, and uh, consequently your job becomes a lot easier. But uh, I've always remembered that we were talking about orchids at the time Rob and I had that conversation, but it applies to trees and grass and everything else, and it's why these companies that get so into foliar feeding, um, and once again, uh, orchids are what I'm most familiar with, but they grow absolutely gorgeous plants with really incredibly poor root systems. And that's why these things you buy at the grocery store are so hard to maintain is because those plants are used to getting all their nutrients through the leaves. And uh, it just, when you when you study it, when you stop and think about it, it really makes sense.
7: Oh, oh most definitely and stuff. I think might, uh, shit, I'm still waiting on uh, one more test to come back, and that was for uh, bacterial... And stuff, but I'm not due for another yearly soil test. I'm dying to wait to get that and see how much it's improved over the stuff I put out.
1: Yeah. And then yeah.
7: I still need to do. But um, finally, after a few years of book my head, at least I finally figured out <laughs> to do some soil tests to see what's going on.
1: Well, I'm I'm so happy for you because you've gotten to know some really good people. You've gotten to know Noe Garcia down at uh, TPSL. You got to know Stuart Frankie over at Medina, and they're just some really, really smart and really, really capable. Just happen to be nice guys too and gals that are in this business. And I'm uh, I'm really pleased you've reached out to them and gotten to know some of them a little better.
7: Oh, Mr. Frankie was awesome.
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't want to take too much time, but I think I told you I was standing in his warehouse talking to him one time when uh, uh, he had to stop and take a call from Norway, and then he had to stop and take a call from the Middle East because uh, people all over the world rely on him just like you and I do. So uh, anyway, if that got your questions, i got to get a break in here because we're almost uh, through another hour of the show. You have a good uh, Labor Day tomorrow, Clint. Thank you, sir. Uh, I get to talk about Green Grow Organics, and that's always a pleasure. Sam Sitterly and company, and uh, talking about nice people that can really help you in your landscape. That's what Sam's built a business around over 30 years of helping people understand what's going on in their landscapes, helping them help themselves, so to speak. Now, Sam and his crews, uh, they do compost tea application. They do some fertilizing, but they're not the guys who are going to trim your trees or mow your grass for you. But uh, they've got the best thing going, and that is knowledge, and they love sharing. Sharing that knowledge with you. That's what Grow Organics is built around, and all of their suggestions and everything that they do is organic. That's why I like them so much. Um, they've got a huge following, so to speak. A lot of people have it set up where Sam comes out on a quarterly basis, maybe even more often than that. Other folks just call them as needed. If you're at a point that you think you would really like to have a professional walk your landscape with you and talk to you about what it needs to be at, at its very best, well, then you ought to look into Green Grow Organics. Check them out online at that website, GreenGrowOrganics.com. Um, looks good to you. Call and set up a consultation. Be sure you understand any charges up front. There are an awful lot of people that owe their absolutely gorgeous landscapes, Mr. Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: <laughs> well, it turned out that that, uh, that, that, break was a lot shorter than i expected it to be but uh we do have to go to news very shortly so uh Let me take just a minute here and remind you that uh, if you're going to plant large fruited tomatoes, that's something you really need to get done. Probably need to get out and get them today because most of your nurseries going to be closed tomorrow for Labor Day. Still got some time on the cherry tomatoes because they don't pay attention to nighttime temperatures, but your bigger fruited fruited forms, they're going to stop setting fruit when the nights get cool. So that's why you need to get them in and growing. Um. you can also plant peppers. You can also plant more eggplant if you can find. I still think it's a little early on the Cole family plants. Let's give it another week or two and see if the weather does abate just a little bit. And then we can start talking about a lot more things to get going in the garden. Don't forget, too, it is a good time to fertilize Uh, Using organic products, you don't have to worry about the heat. You don't have to rush to water them in. And believe me that plants that are as stressed as everything is right now, they need those nutrients to get through this most stressful time. And uh, uh, several good organic brands out there, Medina, Maestro Grow, Nature's Creation, uh, all of them provide a very good, very good lineup of fertilizers that can certainly be used in this heat. Nothing wrong with planting now. As long as you're gonna be in town to water trees and shrubs, uh um best best time of year of course is probably October, November. But if you're gonna be home to water, don't hesitate to uh to do some landscaping out there, as long as you're sure that you can water it, be sure the water restrictions aren't going to make it impossible. I do not recommend planting grass right now because it's going to be real hard to establish. But uh, bigger shrubs, and then, of course, colorful annuals like periwinkles, colorful perennials like many of the salvias, those things could be planted this afternoon. We'll be right back with lots more gardening. Lewis is up first here on KTSA Radio.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
1: All right. Back to gardening. And, uh, yes, we still do have a couple of open phone lines. If you want to grab one, you just heard the number, 210-599-5555. Talk to Lewis first and then Peggy. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning. Morning,
7: sir. I
8: wanted to ask you about some some Bermuda sod. I'm down by Corpus. Yes, sir. i got a quick story. Quick story. Uh, The guy I've been buying st augustine from well i'm i'm working on a different house and it's bermuda and i wanted to put some of that tiff 419 in and he's t- pushing this uh texas tough or texas turf uh-huh. so i don't know anything about about that one i hadn't seen either one up close so i'm just asking which is
1: better i don't know uh about that one i gosh it, it's I, I haven't seen it yet i'm still a big fan of tiff or uh tiff 419 or tiff green uh, those are, those I know are dependable. I, I, I'm i sorry, I don't know about this new one you're talking about. I'll make a note and try to look into it. But uh, uh, the one thing I would always ask is uh, say, okay, well, tell me where I can go look at this. Tell me where it's been down for a year or two that I can go evaluate it and see what you find out. It may turn out to be something really good, but... Uh, the TIFF products have been around for probably 75 years. They're pretty darn well time-tested, and uh, down in your relatively sandy soils, they should be very, very easy for you to grow and do well with. Now, the one thing, too, and you probably already know this about TIFF, but uh, uh, you can mow it with a regular mower if you treat it like a turf grass, and it makes a beautiful turf grass. If you're trying to make a putting green out of it, then you've got to buy a much more expensive mower, and you've got to be mowing a lot more often. But just as a low-maintenance doesn't need to be mowed very often yard, as long as you have good sun, I can't imagine anything that's going to be better than, uh, than the TIFF products are. But, again, I always want to learn. So if you check out this other and find it's really good, I hope you get back to me on it.
8: Okay. Uh, I grew several hundred oak trees 20 years ago from listening to your show. And boy I had big plans, but I ended up I ended up giving most of them away. I sold a few and one of my the guys I worked for, his daughters came and got a bunch of them and they went north, Austin and San Antonio like that. And they sent me a picture the other day of one of his granddaughters sitting in the shade of this twenty foot oak tree in the front yard and they named the tree <laughs> after me. So we 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 all got you to thank for that.
1: Well I I, I think it was the uh uh the words of thomas jefferson or somebody he said it takes a good man to plant a tree under whose shade he knows he will never sit i'm glad you got started early enough in life that you and those young ladies can uh take advantage of your good work congratulations on it that's uh that's a great story
8: okay well I, like i said I, i'm checking some oil wells right now in the morning that's what i do seven days a week and uh i listen to your show every weekend and uh like I'll, uh, that other uh, Bermuda grass, he was pushing that Texas turf or Texas turf, and 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 I was wanting the Tier Four Nineteen, but I, I just other than seeing a picture of it on my phone, I I don't know anything about that.
1: Well, book. I I don't either, and uh, I I'll make a couple of phone calls and and see what I can find out. But uh, uh, I I would ask him, I would tell him that uh, you're considering it, but you'd like to go look at a yard where it's been in for a couple of years. And if he can't provide you with that information, then uh, I don't want to be one of his experimental projects. I want something I know is going to work, and I know the, uh, I know just like that oil has well, been sitting there pumping for a lot of years, that tip's going to sit there and grow for you for a lot of years. So uh, appreciate what you do to keep us supplied with the energy we need.
8: Okay, uh, thank you very much, sir. Have a good day.
1: You do the same, and a good Labor Day tomorrow, Liz. Thank you. Ah, next in line is Peggy. Good morning, Peggy good morning good morning
9: uh I, these these questions may be a little off the wall <laughs> I mean, that makes them even more back. fun
1: so you shoot away
9: <laughs> you tell, call me tell me call back when you're on with the vet um algae in the cow trough cow water trough uh-huh i've been putting hydrogen peroxide in there but i don't seem to be able to stay ahead of it too well um what's what's the trick
1: well, if you've got sunlight and you've got water you're going to have algae and when you have a lot of sunlight and uh your troughs out in the sun you're just going to have you're just going have algae now um do you have any kind of uh bubbler do you have anything that moves the water around or uh is it just a float valve yeah. like mine is it, yeah it's just a
9: float
1: valve it's, the problem is you're never going to kill all of it. Um and you know, if you did some birds would come in and bring some more and it's gonna keep <laughs> regrowing. Now there are things that you can do to slow it down. You can put a little whole ground cornmeal in there and cornmeal takes a lot of the potassium away that the uh that the algae needs to grow. Um people have <laughs> done might. uh there's some there's some oh to uh what's your trough? Probably thirty gallons, something like that. Fifty, I think. Fifty. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd put a cup. Okay. i put about a cup in and do that every two or three weeks. That's going to help with your algae. Um, people, and, and I haven't tried this, but um, they they get these little tiny bales of barley straw and they float those in there. Now the cows are probably going to, you're probably going to have to wait them and sink them or the cows are going to decide <laughs> that tastes pretty good. But surprisingly, that seems to limit huh. the algae but i guess the bottom line is that uh, the algae really doesn't hurt anything it's uh if anything is actually making the water better because it's photosynthesizing there's a uh, lot more oxygen in that water than there would be without it so other than cosmetically and and i know that every few months you have to go back in and kind of scrape the sides because it can get you no know, fairly yeah. thick but for the most part um uh, you know algae is it's it's cosmetic reasons so we don't like it the cows don't mind it and it's certainly not hurting the water in any way
9: well that okay that's it doesn't hurt the cows so that's no, good to, no, if, they, if i do put the, <laughs> if i do put the hydrogen peroxide in there uh-huh. how long before it is dissip, before it dissipates
1: oh overnight and okay. you know and you're not you know for 50 <laughs> gallons of uh, how much are you putting in there a quart or so
9: Uh huh.
1: Yeah. They could drink. Sometimes two quarts. Yeah. They could drink that water straight and it's not going to hurt them at all. Uh, If they drank straight hydrogen peroxide, it'd give them an upset tummy. That's what uh, you can use if you ever have a puppy dog that decided to eat some chocolate or something that you needed him to throw up. You just pour a little hydrogen peroxide in the mouth, and that'll empty the tummy without hurting anything. Now, don't, I mean, ask your vet. There are certain things you don't want a dog to throw up if they've eaten it. You don't want to aspirate something in there, but if it's just uh, the dog got hold of... uh uh, you know somebody's pills. <laughs> or, yeah, I, I have to laugh because Dr. Kirby tells me that one of the most common things he's seeing nowadays are dogs that have gotten into somebody's marijuana stash. And oh uh, my goodness! And uh, you know that that's not a part of my life. <laughs> Apparently, no, it's no. for a lot of people, but you know, and it, it, peroxide, even if you got a concentrated deal, it's not going to do anything more than upset your tummy. So. Uh, If you were to put it in in the evening, by the time the cows come around to drink the next morning, uh, it's not only is it not harmful, it's all gone. Uh, Hydrogen peroxide, of course, chemically is H2O2, and Mm -hmm. in just a few hours, it simply degrades to H2O plus O2, so um, there's no residue, there's nothing harmful left behind, and uh, um, I I don't know if you've discovered, but if you're buying it in a little bit bigger quantities, what is often sold as non-chlorine bleach, is nothing but straight hydrogen peroxide, and uh, you can probably get that by the gallon, whereas if you're buying it in the pharmacy section, (laughs) you're you're paying a lot more for it. Uh,
9: Then uh, another (laughs) quick question. Um, Is alfalfa um, normally sprayed with herbicide, or is it more likely to be Non sprayed and it is it like almost
1: it is almost totally non sprayed. Now uh, it may be sprayed okay. for a bug or two, but uh, alfalfa is not hay. Alfalfa is not a grass. Alfalfa is a legume. It's closely related to clover, and your herbicides are made to kill clover and other things that people perceive as weeds. So, um, so other than the oh, fact okay. that that they're trying to do some genetically modified stuff out there now. Alfalfa is far less likely to have any pesticide residues on it than uh, a regular coastal hay, or you know, Sudan, or any of the annual hays we we get.
9: Okay, so the cow manure then is you don't really have to worry about it so much. As a
1: matter of fact, it's
9: trees and stuff.
1: Uh, it's it's much richer. Uh, that's why rabbit manure is so uh, such a good fertilizer. Is that so many people feed their ra- rabbits on alfalfa, and um, I, I'm told that uh, I don't pay the money for alfalfa. My cows get to eat, get to eat hay, but um, I don't think uh, in our climate you you want to give them just a steady diet of alfalfa in the heat. Uh, I have a rancher friend in Wyoming. Matter of fact, we had a long visit just night before last, and. Uh, uh, it's something that uh in cooler weather animals can subsist well on alfalfa but i, I don't think i'd make 100% of their diet al- alfalfa when it's as hot as it is right now
9: yeah Oh, okay that's that's really good well it's a good I, treat for them. That, I mean, we don't have that many cows either so
1: <laughs> well you you have deal. to win the lottery if you're going to if you're going to feed a lot of alfalfa <laughs> to begin with but no as a as an occasional supplement Uh, there's nothing but good things about alfalfa.
9: Good deal. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate all that information.
1: Well, it's what I'm here for, and I appreciate the call this morning, Peggy. Thank you.
9: Okay, have a good day.
1: You too. Goodbye. All right, uh, some open lines there. Grab one if you like, 210-599-5555. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with more phone calls.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All
1: right, let's get right back to the phone calls. It's going to be Joey and
0: Ken and David.
1: I guess this is the guys' segment here. Joey's up first. Good morning, Joey. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Off to a good start. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Good.
10: I got a burr oak that I planted probably two years ago, and I've uh-huh. been watering it. About once every week and a half or two weeks, okay, and the other day I came home, and about seventy five percent of the leaves are brown, and then the next day, about ninety percent of the leaves are brown. I go up to the stem, or not the stem, but the trunk, and I can scratch a little piece, and it's green, yeah, and none of the limbs are snapping off. What do you think is going on?
1: it's just not getting enough water uh, uh you know two well, years is
10: over watering i
1: i doubt it two years is not enough time for a tree like a burrow to really spread its roots out very much and when we've got hot dry winds uh it's going to get dehydrated you know more quickly Um, what you can always do and what i always recommend uh, is just every time you think about it pick up the hose and just spray up and down the trunk of the tree it'll absorb a lot of water directly through the trunk and that way you don't have to be quite as careful about the water you put into the ground. Now, when you water, you do want to water thoroughly, and you can tell pretty easily. Jam your index finger down into the soil. If it's dry, you know, an inch deep, then it's time to water again right there at the base of the tree. But um, sure. it's uh, the kind of weather we've had uh it's probably going to be twice a week rather than every week and a half if your soil drains well. But uh, just remember to feel the soil, but you'll never hurt a tree spraying water on the trunk and limbs and foliage. And if you could do that four or five times a day, it would help that tree come back a whole lot faster. I, It's, it's giving you a warning shot, so to speak, but uh, pay attention to it because there, there are trees dying out there from this kind of drought. And It's just that, that yeah that subsurface soil is so dry... And like Clint was pointing out a minute ago, uh, the soil actually wicks the water away. The drier soil underneath actually absorbs or pulls some of that water on down into it through osmotic pressure uh, before the tree roots even get a shot at it. So I think all you're doing is is looking at a water issue. I would suggest the next two or three times you water, get some Super Thrive or get some geric juice, mix in with that water, and that'll get those roots happy a lot more quickly. Yes, sir. I have some Super Thrive, so I'll mix them up. Yeah.
10: Well, sounds good. I just want to let you know, also, I had bought a uh, Mexican sycamore from your place two years ago, three years ago, and is yes, maybe sir. 10 feet tall. Yeah. That sucker's almost 20
1: feet tall now. <laughs> awesome. Isn't it? Isn't it fun when they do what they're supposed to do?
10: Oh, it's amazing. It's a, our favorite tree in our yard. We love it.
1: Well, very good. You'll get that burrow back in good shape again, but uh, that Mexican sycamore's roots grow you know, much, much faster than they do uh, on that burr oak. So uh, give it some supplemental water directly through the bark. And uh, like I say, just be sure when you're watering that you're really soaking thoroughly. Anytime you can stick your finger down in the soil and it feels dry, you know, uh, uh, an inch down, then it's time to water thoroughly again.
10: When I water that burr oak, should I just let the water run by the base of the tree or should I water the – because it's not the the limbs – Maybe like a eight foot radius. It's not very big.
1: Well, they're finding that that, the the, they find that most of the water, not nutrients, but most of the water a tree takes up is within ten feet of the trunk. I would not water just right against the trunk itself, but kind of halfway out and uh, put a bubbler on the end of the hose or something like that, so it, it waters kind of slowly. But uh maybe 3 4 feet out away from the trunk and uh well actually maybe a little closer cuz that root ball was probably about 2 feet wide 30 inches wide when you planted it. So go out about 2 feet and that's the area that I'd concentrate on watering.
10: Yes sir, I appreciate it.
1: One more thing. Where where are you located? Up in Spring Branch. Okay, so but you're not in a heavy clay soil. You're in a soil that drains fairly well. Yes sir. Okay, very good, then that yeah, but that in the past should,
10: mornings it's been kind of chilly, so I thought I was like, there's no way the leaves are turning this early
1: <laughs> chilly, I don't know that I would uh that it's all relative. I certainly haven't been reaching for a jacket, but let's just say it has felt a a whole lot better, but no Burrow it shouldn't be dropping its leaves till December, uh and don't worry, it'll be a good thing when those leaves fall off uh but uh. uh you know, it, water issue is all you're looking at and uh it's the that burrow is just gonna be a lot slower to grow its roots than that Mexican sycamore is. So uh uh you'll bring it back. Uh thank you for the info. Oh, you're always welcome. Thank you, sir. Uh thank next you, sir. in line is uh is Ken. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. I've got a a uh, Bartlett
11: oak, I think.
1: That Bartlett. is
11: uh Pear.
1: Pear or oak? No, sir oak okay i've never heard of a bartlett oak okay. but just tell me about it okay well the problem i have is
11: it's been girdled by this this uh wherever the oak is has uh-huh. been girdled probably three feet up from the ground up it's just lost its bark all the way around it uh is that been girdled
1: and just doomed um it Probably is if you don't do something about it. Is the bark uh, is something chewed it off like a porcupine? Has something rubbed it off? Where's the bark peeled, gone? It looks like it's peeled away,
11: just in big sheets.
1: Okay, there are. Looks like it's shedding it. And what, what is the foliage on the tree still looking good? No, it's starting to curl. Okay. Um... Golly, I wish we could figure out exactly what it is. The area that the bark is coming off, what does it look like underneath it? Is it like a hard white wood or is it? Hard white wood. Okay.
11: hard white wood.
1: And um, because bark, you know, there's some trees that naturally lose bark. A sycamore, for instance, just it peels half, 90% of its bark comes off every year and it's replaced underneath. But I don't know any oaks that that will, you know, lose it the whole, you know, the whole circumference of the tree. And if it's actually down, there's a there's a layer of tissue underneath the bark called the xylem. And if that gets peeled away, ultimately the uh, the tree will die. Where where are you located?
11: Uh, up in Granite Shoals.
1: Okay. Uh, about ten feet from the water. Okay, what I'm going to suggest is um, I'm going to give you the name of a really good arborist. Call him and ask him if you can uh, send him a picture of that. I don't know that he'll come up to Granite Shoals, and I don't know that you need somebody to drive up and look at it, but uh, uh, you need somebody to take a look at what the tree is is doing because that's that's not normal. Unless, you know, unless something has damaged the tree one way or another, and uh, I can't believe it's a drought issue if the tree is that close to the water. How how mature a tree is it? How long do you estimate it's been there? Fifteen years. Okay. Um, something, golly, I, again, it's, it's hard to say, but... Um, Write down this number. I think David will probably, I doubt that he'll even want to charge her for doing this, but uh, the number is 210-788-4986. His name is David Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N. He's the smartest arborist I've ever known. This is a guy that teaches the classes that other arborists have to take, and uh, he's heck of a nice guy. Just Just call him. Tell him I told you to call. Ask him if you can text him a picture. And uh, I'd love to know what he tells you about it. This sounds uh, uh, it sounds unusual. I, I don't know any reason that a healthy tree would do this. I see a lot of porcupine damage. Uh, I see a lot of damage uh, where, you know, things have rubbed the bark off uh, some of the lakes around, including my lake up in the hill country. I've got some new and they sometimes will chew on the bark as well. But uh, that's not a normal circumstance. In the meantime uh if you can go to howard garrett's website which is dirtdoctor.com look up what he calls tree goop it's a mixture of uh uh, powdered rock phosphate a couple of other things uh you will help any tree that's had damage to the bark uh you mix up this and just kind of slather it on over the wounded areas but um uh when you talk to David, if he can suggest what the problem is, I'd I'd love for you to call me back and, and tell me what you find. But in the meantime, uh I would do the I would do the tree goop on the trunk. I'd probably, you know, mix up a little super thrive and pour it over the root zone. But um uh, let's let's get somebody that can actually look at it even if he's not sending there in person and uh and let me know what he what he suggests is going on.
11: All right. Thank you.
1: All right, sir, I thank you. I wish I could uh Wish I could do more, but uh, that's that sounds like a fairly unusual situation. I uh, tell you what, uh, David, hang on just a minute. We need to get a break in here. Uh, Don, let's run what we've gotten recorded, and we'll be back and take some more phone calls.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right, let's get back to phone calls. Looks like it's going to be uh, John, David, and Cody. John's first in line. Good morning, John.
12: Good morning, Bob. I've got problems with ants stripping leaves off of all my trees on my property. I'm down in uh, Natalia, Texas. Super okay. sandy soil down
1: there. And uh, uh, I've been, and
12: I've been fighting them with that. Stuff you throw on the mountain and wet it down. Right. Um, just started doing that, so I don't know how successful that's been yet.
1: Yeah, it will take a little while, but you can stop them almost instantly. Um, and, and these are big old single-trunk trees that they're getting up in and stripping leaves from?
12: Well, they're, they're myrtles. Uh, Their uh, trunks are probably... Uh, Three and four inches thick. they have you know been there a while. Okay. Uh, They're some um,
11: of them, some of them bushy
12: and some of them are way up tall type plants.
1: Okay. Well, the ones that are up tall are going to be easy to protect. Uh, there's a product out there that used to be called Tanglefoot. Now I think they just call it uh, a Tree Barrier or something like that. But what you do is take either a piece of aluminum foil or a piece of plastic wrap and wrap it around the trunk, and then you take something like a tongue depressor or a small putty knife, and you just smear about a two-inch-wide swath of this stuff around, and the ants cannot walk across it. Um, it doesn't, you know, obviously it's, you can't use it on roses. You can't use it on something that's, you know, just very, very heavily branched. But any tree that has, you know, has straight, distinct trunks um this will sure stop them uh they 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 simply can't it's a it's a stickiest stuff you've ever seen it reminds yeah i mean it makes axle grease look like hand cream uh but as long as you and i don't like putting it directly on the bark it's better if you wrap something around it and then smear it on that but that'll stop those leaf cutting ants a hundred percent
12: okay and then uh what what about is it a good idea to fertilize them to help them come back
1: Oh, it's always good to fertilize, you know, or as long as you're staying organic, the heat doesn't doesn't hurt at all. Organic fertilizers don't increase the water uptake like those synthetic <clears throat> chemical ones do, so you'll never go wrong putting a little fertilizer out on them. it be real good if you can get a little rain shower to follow it up <laughs> and get it activated, but you don't have to water it. Boy, rain, is, rain has sure been a, a scarce commodity lately, But uh, and, and this uh, tanglefoot material... Is uh, is so resilient; it'll stand up to several rainstorms. It's not like something you're going to have to go out and smear back on every time it does rain.
12: Okay. And how often should you water myrtles? You know, it's sandy soil, so it absorbs water right away; it just disappears.
1: And they've been in the ground for a while. Oh yeah, years. Uh, a couple of every couple of weeks. I think every two weeks okay. should be just fine. If you're in heavier soil, I'd tell you once a month, but uh, in your soil that really drains well, then I certainly envy your ability to dig a hole without hitting rock. But uh, probably every two weeks, if you give them a thorough soaking, it will be plenty for them.
12: Okay. We've got several oaks that have died and broken off. Uh, one of them probably a two-foot diameter tree at the base. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's standing there, but it's just dead in the doornail. Uh, I've got a couple that have died and... Uh, the top has broken off and fallen on the ground. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if I have that wilt stuff that you've been talking about.
1: There's, and you said you're down around Natalia. Yes, sir. I have uh, not
12: west, west of, uh, I mean east of I-35 uh, right. County side.
1: Have not seen oak wilt down in that area. Um, there are a lot of trees uh, and. For whatever reason, when we're in as bad a drought as we are right now, it seems like there's less sap in the trees. The trees are much more prone to breaking. And, uh, you know, we've hardly had a good rain in four years. We had uh, bit of rain last year, but uh, these trees are just taking it hard. And live oaks, for the most part, are doing pretty well. But the bur oaks, the post oaks, shin uh, oaks, uh, they're are in bad shape. Um, many of them will recover and come back out, but we do we do have te- trees dying around from drought. Any Anything you can do to get moisture to them, uh, anything you can do to put mulch around the base of them, certainly do this with anything that's in your yard or anywhere that you really want to protect it. Three or four inches of mulch on the surface of the ground will cool the soil and help retain that moisture. And it would certainly help your crepe myrtles as well, but uh, uh, what we... Just desperately need is just a good rainstorm, and uh, unfortunately, we don't have a way to make it happen.
12: Yeah. Okay, sir. Appreciate it. Thank
1: you. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And I'll run in at the next commercial break and take a look at uh, the uh, the name on that product, <laughs> so I can tell you exactly what it is. Uh, I believe next in line is going to be David. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh,
13: I got a question about. Just like all the other guys about uh, drought-stressed trees, I've got two hundred-plus-year-old pecan trees, and they look like they're really bad. I know pecans don't do that well in drought. Uh, I've heard you say about digging around the the root base of the tree is good. Mm -hmm. Uh, How far down and how far out do I need to dig? Well, I've noticed these trees have been. Somebody's backfilled around due to erosion around these trees, so I know yeah. they're hurting them.
1: Yeah, that's um, probably what's really bothering them. Um, you just need to pull the soil back away to where you see that trunk flaring out. They call it the root flare. They ought to call it the trunk flare. But if you look yeah, around yeah. at a, you know, a, a good, mature tree, when you get to ground level, that, that trunk area should be a third, again, as wide as the trunk is two, three feet up. So just pull back the trunk that's been the soil that's been filled around them um are these big old uh trees that have been there a long time or these trees that were planted 20 years ago how long did you Not estimate the trees have been in the ground I, I estimate
13: probably 100 years they're old big giant pecans and it, this one has the, the one of them has like that real loose bark on it like it's been shedding bark for a while
1: oh I that's normal Yeah, that's normal on a pecan tree. Yeah. When you think of a hundred year old pecan, it's been through droughts as bad or worse, you know, than this one that we're experiencing right now. Um, I would get the root flare exposed. Uh, In fact, I'd look at Howard's website, dirtdoctor.com, look at what he calls the sick tree treatment. I would do the things that he he recommends there because uh, uh, those trees. They ought to be coming through this without any problem. Uh, My trees may be 150, 200 years old, and the ones down along the creek where they didn't have to grow a real good root system, they are really suffering since the creek's pretty much dry now. But the ones out in the field a little ways away, um, they not only look great, they they put on quite a crop of pecans. I don't think the pecans will fill out and amount to anything, but uh, not... Normal for a, a healthy old pecan tree like that to really be showing a lot of signs of stress. Um, I, I'd like to say I would get the dirt back away from the root flare. Um, the other things that we talk about—a little bit of cornmeal, a little bit of green sand—those things will all help. And um, uh, but other than that, the, those pecans ought to ought to bounce back with the rain. This this should not be that stressful on them. Um, do you run cattle? Do you have uh do the cows lie around in the shade of those trees a lot?
13: No sir, uh in the past there was and uh but they're right now they're fenced away there's nothing on Okay. Them.
1: Well that's good. The reason I ask is because so so many people spray hay with picloram these days. Cows eat that that hay, the picloram, which is a horrible herbicide cuz it kills trees just like it kills weeds. Uh, and the cows go lie underneath the shade of that pecan tree and then as Malcolm Beck would say the first thing the cow does when it gets up is pees and poops and we yes, see sure. trees that are actually dying of picloram poisoning simply because you know of all the tainted manure that has been deposited over those uh roots the root zones. so that's something I'm always concerned about but if you're if you got your cattle screened away from that, that's certainly not the issue. Uh, get that root flare exposed, follow that sick tree tree, and let's talk in a month or so and see how the trees are looking.
13: Okay, and uh, one more thing how far out does that need to be dug away from there?
1: Just until you can see it exposed, four or five inches away from the trunk is plenty. Okay. What, what is important is just that you have air circulating around the trunk. Um, to give you a little bit better description, Imagine that below the ground, um, the portion of the trunk and the roots is normally below the ground is waterproof, so to speak. The cells that are there are full of lignin and pectin. They're used to having wet soil around them all the time. The bark above the root flare does not have those waterproofing agents in it. And if that bark stays wet, it just gradually rots from the outside in And eventually the tree can die. With a big tree, sometimes it takes years for it to happen. But all you're trying to do is maintain normal airflow around the trunk of the tree as opposed to having wet soil up against it.
13: Okay. What's the best way to water a big tree like that?
1: Uh, I'll be honest with you. There is no way to do it. Um, If you had unlimited water, uh, you want to go ten feet out from the trunk and you know find a way that you can that you can water very slowly and very deeply but if that tree's a hundred years old it ought to have tree roots out to the next county it should not be a water issue you know on a, on a pecan that's been there that long
10: yes sir all right
1: well keep me posted on how it does David I look forward to hearing from you thank you and, uh, oh, and, and one other thing, uh, it's fine to use organic fertilizers, Medina, Nature's Creation, have, um, Mysure Grow, uh, but absolutely do not use any of these products that your extension agent probably recommends the 2100 or the 181818. Those products really increase water stress. They create a tremendous uptake of water by the trees. And I've seen people, you know, kill plants. Using those synthetic high nitrogen fertilizers, and uh, uh, so stay strictly away from that. If you want to feed the organic-based stuff that does not create water uptake in them, that will always benefit those trees. But uh, don't don't listen to these people that are telling them to use high nitrogen and zinc supplemented fertilizers. You don't need them, and they'll do a lot more damage than they do good. All
13: right. Week. All,
1: All right, right, sir. I appreciate it. I thank you for the call this morning. And uh, uh, tell you what, Don, let's get our last break of the hour out of the way so we don't get behind. Cody will be up next.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right. Let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Cody, Wade, and John. And Cody is first in line. Good morning, Cody. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing all right. Got an
14: Good. eastern red bud
1: that all of my
14: leaves are starting to curl and turn slightly brown. I've done the app, and it shows that I've either got three different answers brown spot, underwatered, or leaf mites. <laughs>
1: well, I don't think it's any of the above. How often do you water it? Uh, probably, it gets watered with a sprinkler probably once a week. That's too much water. Is this tree been in a while?
14: Uh, at least that I would know about ten years.
1: Yeah, red buds. I see ten red buds killed from too much water than I ever see killed from. Uh, I mean, from too little, too much water rather than too little. Uh, that red bud, it ought to get by with water once a month. And um, Texas red bud, Mexican red buds, even worse about it, and even the improved varieties, Oklahoma and farce pansy and some of those um when you water water thoroughly that sprinkler system's not enough to water it you probably need to turn the hose on lay it a couple of feet out from the base of the tree and let it run for several hours but um uh it it just doesn't need to be watered very often when it gets watered you want to water it really thoroughly but uh i'd uh and In fact, I would, if you have uh, sprinkler heads in the area that hit that tree, your grass is going to need thorough, certainly a weekly watering, but uh, if enough water to keep your grass going well is going to be enough to kill your redbud. So uh, try to, there's usually on the little sprinkler heads that pop up, there's a little set screw in the top that you can turn that down to where you uh, effectively turn off any of the sprinkler heads that are hitting that tree because I think it's just staying too wet. If you don't correct it, it'll fold up and die on you.
14: Well, it's it's all with a sp- uh, water hose and a sprinkler, so I could start moving it more around. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Reason. Do that, and be sure that when you water it, uh, that you really do it very, very, very thoroughly. It's it's not, of course, the water that kills. It's the fact that lots of water displaces the oxygen in the soil, and those roots have to have oxygen. And uh, I, I'm going to put... Uh, you know with along with just a couple of fruit trees, I'm put red buds at the top of the list of the trees that are frequently killed from too much care and uh so just when you water water thoroughly, but boy, don't do it more than once a month on a ten year old tree
14: so and also last winter, we were pouring concrete and mm-hmm. the cement truck backed up and pushed up against the tree, and the main i would i'm assuming it was the main branch that went up ended up dying. I guess you okay. corrected it, and I cut it off, but it was above everything else. That, the tree's still every bit of 20-foot tall, but yep. the main branch I cut out of the middle, and this is the first year without it, so I didn't know yep. if that had something to do with it.
1: I, I doubt that the loss of that branch really had much impact on it. Now, I'll tell you, having a, you know, however much a cement truck weighs, 50,000-pound truck back up over the root zone, that creates compaction and that will very definitely have a negative impact on trees. Um, if you can put a little mulch over the root zone, maybe get a little bit of Medina's product they call uh, uh, Medina Plus or Medina Soil Activator. Uh, it's a couple of inches of compost watered in very thoroughly. Anything you can do to soften up the area that was compacted by that, by that concrete truck, um, that will help. And, uh, once again, that's contributing to, to damage to the roots because, uh, um, believe it or not, a bulldozer does less damage than a concrete truck. Because with a concrete truck, all the weight is centered over those tires. And uh, whereas with bulldozer, you know it's spread out over the whole tread. So a bulldozer actually compacts the ground less than a real heavy truck does. So uh, that... I'm sure is, you know, contributing a little bit to that problem. So anything you can do to loosen the soil in that area would be good. And, like say, a little bit of compost watered in thoroughly, a little bit of mulch, something like Medina Soil Activator, all of those things will help get that soil loosened up again.
14: Okay. Well, that makes sense.
1: It's amazing how much of nature, if you really stop and think about it, I I do this all the time. I kind of, you know, kind of slap my head and say, why didn't you think of that? If you're just paying attention, (laughs) it it really all does make good sense. But uh, uh, I I think your red bud's probably going to come back out. The one thing you can do since there has been damage one way or another to the roots is every time you've got that hose out there, just spray up and down the trunk. It would love you if you could if you could do that two three times a day because with that smooth bark that a redbud has it'll absorb a lot of moisture directly through that bark and you're not running any risk of keeping the ground too wet when you do that. So every time you think about it, do it and uh, that tree will start getting better rather than getting worse.
14: Well, I could do that. I did that when it said uh, the leaf mites. I squared it all down because they said mm-hmm. you should see them on the leaves, and, and I didn't. But I squared it down. Almost with a pressure
1: washer. <laughs> well, was right I, and, <laughs> yeah, we don't need to be quite that <laughs> vigorous on it. But uh, oh, so many of these, so many of the apps just aren't for this part of the country, and so many of the people out there to give you advice are sitting in an office somewhere, and it's been ten years since they actually got out and tried to grow something. So uh, uh, <laughs> we don't need to go down that road. Uh, I think you probably know more than most of them do, and uh, red buds <laughs> are just not susceptible to many problems. Now, Texas redbud, much better adapted to this area than an eastern redbud. Eastern redbuds don't really like our soils that well, but uh, uh, what you're describing to me doesn't really sound like a major problem, so long as you work at taking care of the things that are creating the trouble.
14: I will. And it's got buds all over it, so I don't think it... You know, I, I didn't think it was a water... You know,
1: put yeah, no, water. I, I, I don't. I, I, I... It... Sometimes... Budding out like that can be kind of a last gasp thing, especially if it's trying to make flower buds this time of year. But just remember that when you water to do it super, super thoroughly, uh but don't do it too often. Like I say, an established tree like that, uh I can't imagine it need more than once a month. So let me know how it looks uh, six weeks from now. I will. I'll do that. Very good. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Yes sir. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I'd say we've got time for at least one more call here before the news and I believe that would be Wade. Good morning, Wade. This is more of
7: an FYI. We live north of Bouverde. A lot okay. of Sinisos out here and they're just blooming like crazy. And I know they're called a barometer bush. And about five years ago the all the weather people say it's not gonna rain and all the sunisos bloomed and we got like four inches of rain. So how <laughs> I, I don't mean, I I don't know, but I just
4: it's just really weird.
1: Well, I did you did you get a bit of rain about two weeks ago when some of that rain moved through?
4: Yes, and I thought of
7: that, but this last time that they said it wasn't gonna rain, it didn't rain until it rained
15: like the dickens.
1: Yeah. Well, my observation and it's worth exactly what it costs, which is zero, but I have seen that cenisos tend to bloom more after a rain than they do before now i have other people that absolutely swear that they always bloom a week before it rains so uh i hope that your senisa is uh is forecasting a good rain and i hope that that happens but uh most of the ones that i'm seeing in bloom is areas that got a reasonably good rain a couple of weeks ago so keep her fingers crossed
7: i will i've got like four or five different kinds of them and so i'm (laughs) <laughs> going to go out here and talk to them and see what
1: they say, okay? Uh, you let me know what uh, what they say to you. All right. Well, thank you. You're sure welcome, Wade. Thank you. And uh, let's go ahead and talk to, Don, uh, to John. John, if we get short on time, we'll just hold you through the news and keep talking. Good morning, sir.
16: Well, I'm listening, and everybody's talking about leaves dropping and everything and, uh, and the rain and the drought, and uh, we're going to have to call that song up that I used to hear. It's... He goes, uh, oh, it ain't going to rain no more, no more. It ain't going to rain no more. How in the heck can I wash my neck if it ain't going to rain no more?
1: Uh, Isn't that the truth? Well, I describe Texas as one long drought interrupted by occasional floods. And uh, I have to tell you, anybody, uh, especially in the hill country, we're all ready for a small flood to come along and put a little bit of water back in the lakes and the rivers. That's for sure.
16: Well, I don't know if you remember me telling you about that crepe myrtle that I dug out of the ground uh, uh, it was a real long experience. I chopped on it with a shovel and a grubbing mm-hmm. hoe. And the neighbor had a Kubota with a backhoe. He couldn't get it out. It brought a skid steer in, I planted them. They've been blooming them for two years. And I looked out the window the other morning, and one of them was bare looking. I said, "Oh well, the drought got the got it. It dropped its leaves." Well, the deer ate it. Uh huh. So what do I need to? baby that thing <laughs> i don't think i have to <laughs> worry about crepe no
1: it'll yeah, it'll it'll come back out but uh you do need to protect it from the deer the deer are eating things that they don't normally touch uh they're just hungry and um eating the foliage that's going to set it back moderately uh don't let them be rubbing on the bark uh, i mean anything you can do to keep the deer away i tend when i'm planting a young tree that i'm worried about the deer working over I'll take three or four T-posts, and I just put them up against the trunk and tie them top and bottom with a piece of uh, baling wire. And uh, the, the, that keeps them from rubbing on it. But uh, they're only going to eat as high as they can reach, and that's not going to be more than five or six feet, and chances are the great Myrtle's got plenty of leaves above that point. So it's a nuisance. It's not anything you really need to worry about. But uh, we're getting down to the time that the bucks are going to be – marking the trees and rubbing the velvet off on those trees, and that kills a lot of trees, so be sure they can't do that.
16: I have hot wire around it, but I forgot to turn it on <laughs> after David left.
1: Well, now, don't just uh, don't just turn it on. Take your hose and wet down the ground because the ground is so dry that hot wire, you know, it doesn't shock you if you stand there and lean against it, but uh, you get that soil moist where, you, where you're grounded, and that hot wire will do a job. I did that. Thanks. <laughs> Very good. Well, you get out and have a wonderful Labor Day, and uh, I'll look forward to our next visit, and I appreciate the call. About 10 seconds till news here. Do We do have some open lines. Grab one if you like, 210-599-5555. Another hour of
0: gardening here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555.
1: All right, uh, back to back to gardening. Uh, looks like we have Robert and Robin and E.T. for my next three callers. And uh, Robert's first in line. Good morning, Robert.
15: Good morning. Let me get you off speaker. Hold on.
1: All right, All sir. Right, how
15: you doing? I'm good. How are you today? Uh, fixing an irrigation leak. <laughs> to, the, to the garden drip irrigation system.
1: Well, I I can think of worse leaks to have to fix, but uh, uh, you're getting it done at the only reasonable time of day to be doing heavy work outside. Exactly. Well, unfortunately,
15: due to original placement of outdoor water lines, I, this this junction is a point I run over occasionally with my truck. And you talk mm-hmm. about, you know, if I ran over it with a front end loader, it probably wouldn't hurt the pipe underneath.
1: <laughs> if it's but on tr- every truck. Yeah, you, you do know about compression joints, I trust? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, but,
15: the, these are outdoor, the things I ran, PVC underground, just to get a couple of stickets by the,
1: by the vegetable gardens. Yeah. Well, back so, in the days when no. I was actually digging and planting, I, I had what I called the magic digging bar. I could throw that thing up in the air, and it would come down, point down on the biggest irrigation line in the whole landscape. And so... uh Yeah, I got real used to fixing it, and I've been eternally thankful for, uh, and they've got some newer things out there, but the old-fashioned screw-down compression joint, still hard to beat. All right. Sorry about that. I lost you. i about to say, yeah, I have one of those bars also. (laughs)
15: Um, Two two unrelated questions. Um, Grapes. I put grapes in last spring. I did get some grape production uh, close enough to the ground that the The wild rabbit or two I have in the backyard beat me to them.
5: Mm -hmm.
15: Um, They've got four, there's four plants, four to six branches on each plant. Should I take that down to one over the winter?
1: No, I would, uh, you know, I would probably leave all four, but I would go through and thin out anywhere that there is much of a branch system. Branching is coming off. Uh, and a little bit depends on the variety and depends on the trellising system that you're using. But the the main idea is just that you need to thin out the foliage-bearing vines. Now, I can't see your vines, so it might be possible that you want to take one or two of them out all the way. I tend to just go up and down the major canes, cut off all the little side vines that come out. If anything, I'm just going to leave that that one little nub because that's where the, the flowers are likely to form. But uh, we try to thin the foliage on a grapevine up to 80% every year, and that's what increases the number of grapes and the quality of the grapes themselves.
15: Okay, should I do that now or wait till early spring? No,
1: wait Wait until the leaves are off in the winter, and then you okay. can do it pretty okay. much any time. January, okay. February, probably the best two months.
15: Okay. All right, sounds good. Um, I, I came across, I have three Moy Grande Hibiscus that are mm-hmm. in um, five-gallon pots, so they're pretty good okay. size. They're okay. yeah. so Probably two and a half foot tall. They're very full, beautiful. First thought was I was just going to keep them potted until winter finished. Uh huh. Is that? I mean, I, I'm thinking if I, I'm not, I'm due to tra- some travel. I'm not going to be able to put them in the ground. If I put them in the ground, probably till the last week of September. Okay. Would that be enough time to establish them to when they freeze down, they have enough roots?
1: If you if you dump a couple of inches of mulch over, you know, the base of it, it should be should be fine. Moa Grande is a hardy, hardy hibiscus and uh okay. uh it'll certainly be hardier in the ground than it would raised up in a pot, uh unless you want to drag the pots in and out every time we have a every time we have a freeze, and who knows what that's going to be but uh, I, end of September, I wouldn't hesitate to put them in the ground. Uh, okay. I think it would be fine. Now, I always think happy thoughts. Old Ying Dung Moy was quite the gardener and quite a character, and uh, that it sure is a beautiful hibiscus and such a tribute to him. And They're just a beautiful, hardy plant, and uh, uh, get them in the ground, keep them mulched in the winter months. Uh, even our severe winters, the past few winters, haven't set that plant back at all.
15: Okay, I'm going to clear out about it. Six. Eight foot section between some very, very well established uh parada barbados. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just think they'll look good in between that section. I got to clear that out first because sure. <clears throat> obviously, the way those things sling seeds, even though I <laughs> I,
1: try,
15: try to, I, I pull thousands of seeds, oh, yeah, off. I've, got, I've got two very good friends that are that are growers. Yep. and I get them all my seed pods every year.
1: I, uh, but, you, know, I, you don't my porch is yeah, pop. my my porch is probably 15 feet away from my biggest uh, one of those things. And I mean, when that seed pod pops, it sounds like a 22, and I'll hear the seeds hitting the porch 15 feet away. So yeah, if you don't take those pods off before they ripen, you'll have. You'll have all you need. Just just clean them out enough that the Moy Grande will get plenty of sun, and they'll cohabitate very well.
15: Okay, it is kind of funny when I pick the pods. Mm-hmm. We'll be sitting here on. Well, I keep a couple buckets on the back porch. Pick up <laughs> well, the, you know, three, four, five, six days after I've picked them, yeah, they're you're sitting there in the bucket, yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. So been there, done that. Keeps
15: you, yeah, keeps you keeps you alert. Uh, <laughs> all right, sir. You have a great day, and appreciate your advice as always.
1: It's my pleasure, Robert. You enjoy your uh, Moy Grande hibiscus. And uh, right. from Robert, thank you. From Robert to Robin. Good morning, Robin.
6: Good morning, Bob. Good nice morning. To have weekend. You could have been yeah. traveling or
1: something. <laughs> well, I don't know. The airports are too crowded and the highways are too crowded. And. uh, there's nowhere I want to go that I can go for just two days, so I'm just going to sit stay here and enjoy and uh, hope you're going to have a good Labor day as well.
6: Yes, well, thank you so much for being here. Um, I take care of health care garden, and we've got some Mexican petunias over there, um I think that's what they're called um mm-hmm. they and that blue purple blue flower uh-huh and the, the leaves on all these plants are all curly. They look very strange, mm-hmm. and, we, and I, what's, what's wrong?
1: They probably have, uh, we're seeing two things on, uh, they're properly called Ruelia. Are yours the tall ones or the short ones? Are they waist high, or are they about six inches high?
6: These are the short ones.
1: Okay, uh, they are getting some mealybugs, they're getting some mites on them. It's not a real serious problem, but if you want them to, Be a little more attractive. I would get, there's a product called Spinosad Soap, and uh, I just, you know, give them a good spraying late some afternoon when it starts cooling off a little bit. Try to spray under the leaves as well as on top. Um, It's caused by an insect, but their Mexican petunia is just one of the hardiest, toughest plants out there. But they will bloom more. They will look better if you get the bugs under control. But you don't need anything highly toxic. The spinosad soap should be everything you need. I'd spray them. I'd repeat it in about a week or ten days. And that should get rid of the bugs.
6: Okay. Thank you. And I'm real familiar with spinosad. And And
1: if you love Mexican petunias, there's not only that purplish one. There's a pink one that is beautiful. There's a white one that's beautiful. And if you ever really want to make that a multicolored garden, Uh, Plant some of the pinks and whites in with the purples. It's a beautiful combination.
6: Okay. Okay. And another thing I want to tell you about my sweet potatoes, um, I had asked you, oh, it was a couple weeks ago that I had dug around and couldn't find one.
1: I remember that.
6: uh, Yeah, you said maybe by Thanksgiving. Well, I was out uh, taking care of them this morning, and, oh, my gosh, we spread a whole bunch of dried leaves. Uh-huh. Around and you know, between the leaves and down on the soil, and those things loved it. They
5: have <laughs>
6: tripled in, in quantity of leaves, they're just taking out the whole garden. And so, I'm really hoping for some sweet potatoes.
1: <laughs> I think you're gonna have a good crop, and I think they're gonna be real good quality. What you've done, of course, in putting the leaves out there, or is Is just you've created more shade over the surface of the soil. The soil is cooler, and the sweet potatoes respond by putting on a lot more foliage, and uh, that gives them the energy to put more sugar, more starch into those tubers. So uh, come fall, I think Thanksgiving, maybe you may be making sweet potato pies and everything else by then.
6: That would be wonderful. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. (laughs) Look
1: forward to hearing about it.
6: Thank you, Bob.
1: You're welcome, Robin. Well, thank you. Uh, Tell you what, E.T., let me get a break in here and then you'll be up next. Uh, Don, let's run what we need to and then we'll get back to more phone calls.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening. It's going to be E.T., and then Manny, and then probably you. Good morning, E.T. Morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm good. How about yourself? Oh, well, I'm still kicking,
11: so I'm doing quite all right.
1: That's good. So I got
11: a question about uh, mesquite bees. I got a very large mesquite tree in the yard, and uh-huh. I got a whole yard full of mesquite bees. said so best uh, just to let them sit on the ground, or maybe I can rake them up and put them on a the pile, you know, off off the yard somewhere.
1: Well, it's just kind of up to you, you know. There, um, they. It's interesting that mesquite trees, a big mesquite tree, they put out something in their roots that keep the seed from germinating right underneath the tree. Now, if you took those beans and scattered them out somewhere else, you'd have little mesquite trees everywhere. But uh, as long as they're underneath that tree that they fell from, they're not really going to be an issue. Um, It's totally up to you. If, If you don't like them, you know, rake them up and dispose of them somewhere. If you want to leave them on the ground, you can certainly do so, and you really don't have to worry about it forming a bunch of little trees.
11: Okay, great. Okay, i got a question about the passion vine. Mm-hmm. It's probably 15 to 20 years old. It's in a large nursery container. Yeah. And for the past three or four years,
1: it has not bloomed. Is How much sun does it get? Oh, it get pretty much sun all day okay increase your fertilizing uh none of the passion vines have bloomed as heavily with a couple of really hot summers we've had um i know ours it's on the part of our parking lot fence here normally this time of year it'd have 10 or 15 flowers open every day and i've hardly seen a flower on it and that's just the heat more than anything else keep watering keep fertilizing when it cools off we should get some flowers this fall but I really don't think it's anything you're failing to do. They just simply don't like the kind of heat that we've had this summer. So water and feed, and they, when it cools off, they should flower for you.
11: Okay, a question about watering, one-on-one and watering. Who likes to get their, just their feet wet or the foliage? Like my pepper plants, when I give them the water for the water hose, I'll spray the plant. But the tomatoes, I just feed the roots.
1: It doesn't really make any difference as long as it's not the hot, sunny part of the day. Uh, water droplets act like a little prism, and if your foliage is has big water droplets all over it in the middle of the afternoon, you can get some little burn spots underneath there. But if you're doing it morning or evening when the sun's not so intense, uh, I think the plants really like getting their foliage both washed clean, and they will actually absorb a lot of moisture directly through the leaves and through the tender. Uh, stems, but don't do it in the middle part of the day, because anywhere that you get a big water droplet, you could from the magnifying effect, you could get a little burn underneath it, so uh, uh, water when you can, but as far as spraying over the plants, do it earlier late.
11: Okay, yeah, so like you say, early in the morning, my passion vine, you know, my uh, morning glories and my pepper plants, you know, I, I water early in the morning and I just kind of up and down the the foliage itself, you know, so getting yeah. you know, the water
1: like yeah. that. Well, give them a okay. thorough drink uh, at least once a week. Give the ground a thorough drink, but you can you can wet down the plants every day, and they'll love it. Okay,
11: one more question: uh, How's the stock tanks up there in your area? From around here, where I go around, they used to be full. Now they're plumb they're dry. <laughs> they're
1: in my area, they're low um there i haven't seen many of them that are totally dry at this point we've had little spotted rains around uh my personal uh lake is probably i don't know it's probably down about two feet or so and uh neighbors got one that's down probably three feet so we're we're not anywhere close to dry yet but uh it's the the levels are certainly dropping the water's getting hotter so it's not a good thing we're we're sure ready for that next rain uh same thing's true of our aquifer levels they're they're dropping they're not critical at this point but boy everybody sure does need to be conserving water because uh uh there's just no knowing when we're going to when we're going to get a little more rainfall than we need it desperately
11: i hear that Okay, Bob, I thank you very much, and I I think we all should dig out a rain rock and and give it a good squeeze.
1: (laughs) Amen to that, E.T. You get out and have a great Labor Day, and we'll talk again. And uh, We'll talk to Manny next. Uh, Good morning, Manny. Hey, Bob. Good morning. I just had
17: two related questions. I heard a caller earlier, and I don't know if it's a water issue because I have been trying to water pretty deeply at least once a month. But I have a pretty established hackberry tree. Mm-hmm. and also a Mexican plum tree, they were kind of being shaded by a chinaberry tree, which I went out when I had time and dug out. Uh-huh. And I guess that shade exposed them to kind of full afternoon sun. And now the hackberry tree, all the leaves turned brown, the Mexican plum tree, the leaves dropped. Uh, the bark is still, it's still green. It's not dead. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know if that's just from sun exposure. I know hackberries, from what I've heard, They don't really like wet feet, so I don't know what's going on there, but it just happened like one day to the next.
1: Well, and we're seeing some of the same thing, and I think it all comes down to how good a root system they have. I'm Uh thinking of, uh, you know, in places that I've been looking, I'll have one beautifully green hackberry that looks like it doesn't know that there's a drought on, and 30 Uh feet away there will be one that is totally browned out. And yes. it's it's a water issue, but it's also an issue that one of those trees just simply has a better root system. I suspect that sometimes the roots are girdled down in some of the rock because I at least live in a pretty, well, a lot of my ranch is very rocky. Some areas in the bottom land I've got some decent soil. But uh, you're you're looking at drought damage, and on a hackberry... It's just kind of going to be wait and see. I'm hoping, you know, where there's nothing else, I'm hoping the hackberries will come back out. I don't really like hackberries, but a hackberry yes. is better than no tree at all. But you I know can what? pretty I much probably said the wrong tree. I <laughs> I can't remember the
17: name of it, but it's not a hackberry. I'm sorry about that. It's the one that puts out the like the little brown seeds, and I can't recall the name. Um,
1: is it uh, cedar not- elm?
17: Uh, no, it's not cedar elm. It's a native. Uh, it's not a hackberry. I'm sorry about that, but it did just just suddenly all brown up as soon as I took down that china berry tree mm-hmm. that was kind of kind of giving them shade, and I don't know if they just cooked. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I just I blanked out.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, golly, there's there's Mexican buckeye. There's uh, I'm the buckeye. Of... Yes. Okay. It's Mexican uh,
17: buckeye, and then there's a Mexican plum in front of it.
1: Yep. They are just, yes, they probably are getting a little bit sunburned because uh, the Mexican Buckeye especially prefers to be an understory tree. It survives out in the sun, but you'll get burned leaves just like what you're seeing. Now, chances are it's going to come back out very well next spring, but I think you can probably expect that you will lose most of the leaves on that one now Mexican plum that's the one if you can get any water to it, it would really appreciate it because uh, yes. there's some Mexican plums that are going to die from this drought, but uh, the Buckeyes, for the most part, they will be back, but what you're seeing is mainly sunburn, uh, leaves okay. get just like people leaves get gradually accustomed to sunlight, uh, but you know, having that tree cut away is kind of like you or me going out on the beach all day the first day of spring we're just going to roast. And yeah, uh I those figured as much. Yeah, those leaves <laughs> that are brown, they're not gonna turn green again. But uh the trees should produce additional foliage uh and that will come out, it will be more accustomed to the hot sun and hopefully you know you'll see you know you'll see uh, uh a change by fall. Now, if there's any way you can mulch those trees, that's gonna help them more than mm-hmm. anything else. Two, three inches of mulch over the surface of the ground. Uh, that cools the soil by as much as 50 degrees or so, and uh, your Mexican plum especially is really going to love that. But no, it's uh, uh, those trees are going to are going to come back out. But I am seeing hackberries that just be one healthy one and the next one just totally brown, and I just don't know what to expect. I don't know whether they'll be back or not. But your your Mexican okay. buckeye and your Mexican plum. The Mexican buckeye, especially, is really a tough, hardy tree. It'll be back. Mm-hmm. Mexican plum will be back, but it'd sure do better if you could get a little more moisture to it.
17: Okay. Uh, I can leave you with one question if you want to get to it after the break. Um, I have a tangerine tree that's been in the ground for three, uh, about three years, uh-huh. and it's just not really growing much. And I have two other citrus trees in large pots that, you know, of course I'm watering them, but they're thriving. And I just don't know what's going on with that little tangerine tree, why it's not well not, it's not growing much.
1: Yeah, it, it partly it is just due to the heat and uh the top of the hour is the only place I have to get right on the second. So we can go ahead and talk for a minute or two here. Okay. But plants have what is called the compensation point, and that is how much energy it takes them just to stay alive, just to keep their basic metabolism going. And that metabol or that uh, compensation point goes up or down depending on how much stress the plant is under. But right now, many many plants, the compensation point is so high that it's taken those uh, those trees, citrus trees or whatever else, it just is taken them everything they have just to stay alive. And um, so I'm not really surprised. I, I I'm more surprised that your lemons and limes are vigorous than I am that your uh, that you come, not kumquat, come but your satsuma, um, I, I'm not really surprised that they're not growing. And it may just be that uh, your smaller ones are a little more shaded or something. But uh, it doesn't mean the tree's in trouble. It just means that uh, it just doesn't have anything left. By the time it carries on as normal physiological processes to stay alive, there's just nothing left over for it to grow. As the weather moderates, as the compensation point goes down, those trees are capable of putting on good growth. Uh, hopefully, you get lots of flowers next spring and, therefore, lots of fruit mm-hmm. next summer. But uh, it's just, you know, it, it's just heat stress, drought stress. It's just plain stress mm-hmm. on the trees.
17: Okay. So fertilize in the fall and then just, you know, feed it.
1: <laughs> feed. They're, they're basically tropical trees. The places where they grow natively uh, are areas where they pretty much grow year-round and consequently they need uh, nutrient year-round. If it's been more than 90 days since you fertilized, I'd fertilize as soon as you possibly can. Okay. Okay. Remember, with with organic fertilizers, they do not have to be watered in. They do not burn. Now, it would be a terrible Mm -hmm. mistake to put out the synthetic chemical fertilizers, but uh, products from Nature's Creation, Medina, Maestro Grow, uh, Mm -hmm. you can use those with no problems at all right now, and the trees will really appreciate it.
17: All right. Well, I appreciate you, Bob. Thanks for the time.
1: You have a wonderful Labor Day tomorrow, and I uh, look forward to your next visit, Manny. Thank you so much. You, you you as well. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, on the liquid fertilizers, I do recommend watering first. Uh, liquid fertilizers, I'd, I'd like to put on a plant that already has some moisture in the soil. Dry fertilizers, don't worry about it. Just sprinkle them out there, water when you can, and there's nothing at all wrong with doing some feeding this time of year. Ah, It's a little past 10.30, so we need to get a break in here. Give me a call if you've got a question. 210-599-5555.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Russell and Linda and JT. Russell is first in line. Good morning, sir. Hello, sir. Good morning, Hi. Good morning. Are we live? We are live, live and local.
18: (laughs) Okay, thank you.
7: Um, I'm actually making a delivery real quick. Um,
18: I've got two, I believe, fruitless pears. I think that's what they're called. 22 years old. I planted them at saplings and they've done great over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, That'll be about a month ago. And they're planted about 20 feet apart. Okay. About a month ago, one of them just browned out, the leaves are gone. They're still on the tree but they're just brown. The one next to it is doing okay. Any yep. idea?
1: Uh well they're commonly called ornamental pears is actually what they're called. Okay. And uh do you know if they're Bradford's or Aristocrat? Do you oh, do you know I'm a different sorry. name on? Them? No idea, just uh, okay. the
18: people that built the house and front tree died. They gave me two. I'll put them from uh, pots into the ground. Yeah. Real rocky. In fact, asphalt all over my backyard for some reason. In any yeah. event, uh, again, 20-some years, and they're, hu- they're great-sized. Yeah. But uh, well, one on the north just turned brown one day, and the other one's still green.
1: I have to tell you that if you've grown them well for 21 years, you are the exception. Uh, those trees... They tend to live about ten or twelve years and then they just suddenly start fall breaking apart. You'll just have big limbs come out and that spot, you know, five feet off the ground where they branch out, it's just like it almost collapses. So um you you've got a couple of old trees and like I say, i uh, it's it's rare that an ornamental pear lives that long. Now having said that, um did the leaves show any Bad symptoms before the whole tree turned brown, or was this just like an overnight thing
18: it seemed again i don 't got it every day, but when I drive past my house, I see them over the fence uh, mm-hmm. it was It was sudden i can 't speak overnight, but I can tell you it was sudden
1: yeah it, it chances are it is it may be some kind of bacterial problem, uh, Unfortunately, ornamental pears are very susceptible to fire blight. they're susceptible to A couple of other things. The fact that the leaves have remained on the tree, you know, is not a good sign. That usually means that the root system died and then the top of the tree started looking bad. How long ago did this, how long ago did you become aware of this? How long ago did you notice Uh,
18: it? Maybe a month. Again, time. You're as old as I am. Last year happened yesterday. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. But uh, it's been within the middle of summer, probably mid-July.
1: So okay. probably
18: a month, month, month and a half, probably. And what My really puzzles me is the tree next to it. Same day, I planted them both the same day. One's doing fine; the other one is just brown.
1: Yeah, and and that's unfortunately that's not unusual. When they get to be twenty years old, if a problem shows up, it sometimes happens really quickly. It's okay. like you know, twin brothers. One of them is eighty years old and going strong, and the other one died at sixty. Uh, one right. of them just got a little bit better genetics than the other. Things that you can do to help this tree that is still going strong stay very strictly away from synthetic fertilizers. Um, I
18: don't fertilize at all, unfortunately, just the water now and then.
1: Well, and uh, they could use some nutrient, but be sure it's, you know, okay. Medina or Meister Grove or one of those. Um, and it, it probably, the problem has been exacerbated by, by the drought and um, like i say it's just in this case something happened to the roots and by the time the damage showed up it was too late to do anything about it try to give them if you can a thorough soaking about once a month and um, they would like a little nutrition but none of this high number synthetic stuff and uh, i I doubt very much that it was anything contagious i think it probably is more a stress-related issue And um, I think it were if it were contagious should be seeing at least some symptoms on the other tree. On the other Um, tree,
18: that's what I was thought as well. Last question, what do I do with the tree that is, I guess, gone? Does it have to be removed and I'm gonna have to climb up and limb by limb tear it down?
1: you I would not do anything in fact I probably wouldn't do anything till next spring uh if the leaves stay on it then chances are it is dead but every now and then we see one that browns out drops its leaves and then when we get back to a little bit better growing conditions uh you know it leafs out again so I'm okay. I I'm not going to give you a lot of hope I think there's about a 90% chance it is dead and at some point You'll want to remove it, but again, as long as it's not a hazard from breaking or falling on somebody or some vehicle or something uh, you don't have to be in a rush to do anything but uh i'd I'd give it till the weather cools down and see if there is any regrowth uh, if there isn't by then, then you know in a very careful fashion, either take it down or get somebody to give you a hand with it. If you hire somebody to do it, make absolutely certain that they show you an insurance certificate because they're no, a I lot of what i yeah.
18: okay. been a contractor for a while. I'm real familiar with it. <laughs> um, it's about 40, it's about 35 feet tall and it's got wow. a crown probably of probably a 40 foot um, wingspan. If you want to call it that.
1: Yeah. That is an amazingly large ornamental pair. That would be one of the biggest ones in San Antonio because you know, rarely, they, they. right down the street from our nursery is a street called Treeline Park, and they, they planted a bunch of them all up and down that street, and they lived about 12 years, and I don't think there's a single one left there. They topped out at about 20 feet, so you've done a remarkable a, job. Just curious, is
18: there a place I could snap a shot and send
1: it? to have it evaluated just to see what kind of tree
18: it is. That's what I've called it because I think that's what it said in the pot was fruitless is, pear. I believe that's what it called.
1: It uh, it would have been called an ornamental pear. Does it ever have flowers on it in the spring? Never. It's just leaves, nothing else. Okay. I I would just clip a limb. Actually, I'd probably clip a limb off the one that's healthy, just little, you know, 10 inches on the end of a branch. Sorry. And uh, take it by a good nursery. You can bring it by to us here at Shades of Green. You can take it by Phanix. uh You can take it by, you know, probably Rainbow Gardens has somebody there that can help you. But uh, uh, an actual piece of the tree is worth a whole lot more than a picture of it. So and uh, and love to You've take a look. You've been so
18: kind with your time. I know there's a ton of people holding, so let me go so they can talk. And thank you. Thank you for your help.
1: Well, It's always a pleasure. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. And goodbye and uh let's see here uh don are we up to linda is that my next caller all right uh linda's turn good morning linda
19: good morning bob
1: good morning
19: i have i want to ask one question but i wanted to give you some uh um, of my experience with tanglefoot very good i have i use a um, shepherd's hook for my hummingbird feeder, and uh-huh. I've always used like a three-inch or three inch, uh, band of foil and then put the tangle foot on it.
5: Right. I discovered
19: this year that when the temperatures hit 105, it melts. <laughs> and I found out the hard way. <laughs>
1: oh, man, that's a I sticky
19: ants, And when I touched the bottom of the uh, shepherd's hook, it had all just kind of dribbled down.
1: So oh goodness! If,
19: but if they use foil, they could just make a little pocket on the end to catch it if it does melt.
1: That would make good sense. That would make very good sense. Uh, Yo, know, or else wrap it with something absorbent, and you know, have that absorbent material six inches wide, and have the foil four inches wide, so that uh, anything that ran down. Now, this heat has been something else. We we feed some of the birds. Uh, mixing uh, chunky peanut butter with bird seed with a little bit of hot oil so the raccoons don't go after it. And it's the same way. Normally, it's really nice. And some of these afternoons, it starts uh, getting a little liquidy and drippy. So I appreciate I appreciate your raising awareness on the, on the tangle foot. But I think there are ways to get around it. There's still nothing that works quite as well as it does.
19: Right. Uh, the one question I had was, I have to replace a section of my fence that faces the street that's on a slope it's only about 13 to 14 feet
5: mm-hmm. and
19: i'm tired of waiting for treks to come out with thinner <laughs> boards so that i can actually have one that would last so i wanted to find out i'm getting everyone's telling me different things treated pine cedar on and on what would you recommend
1: the only wood that I use anymore is called Eco Vantage, E C O V A N T A G E. If you ever want to see what it looks like, uh, you know, come by Shades of Green. We've built several structures out of it. We've replaced some of our lath roofs with it. Uh, it's the most amazing wood I've ever worked with. It's uh it's a natural treated wood, but it's not treated with chemicals. It's uh heat treated. Process was actually developed in Finland back in 1939 and um, it, 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 they have baked the wood so thoroughly. It makes carbohydrates out of it so the termites don't go after it. Uh, it, The process seals the surface of the wood where they've had it in ground contact in East Texas for 30 years with no rotting. They've had it pilings in swamps for 30 years with no rotting, and it's a carpenter's dream to work with. What, what part of town are you in?
19: Uh, northeast. I, okay. I, do. I have been to Shades of Green. I can come okay.
1: and look. Well, come is by and take a look at it.
19: Is there someone that you would recommend that works with it a lot, or is it just ask around?
1: I, it's just ask around. They really don't have a retail location. When I buy it, it's you know a couple of thousand dollars worth at a time, and that's what they're set up to do. Somebody has got a real project, building a deck, building a fence, building a pier, um, they'll happily work with you, but they're just not... Not set up to be a drive-through lumber yard, but ask around, and uh, I'll—I know there's some
19: problem in in getting the amount because, as I said, I only need about 14
11: feet.
1: Well, but uh, there may very may very well be, you know, a builder, contractor, somebody that you know buys it in quantity and then divides it up on on different jobs. So, um, ask around and uh, come by and take a look at it. Be sure it's something you like. Um, if nothing else, it might be next time we get a load, we could, you know, see about tagging a little extra on or something like that. But, uh, if you like it as well as I do, it's, it's literally the only wood I build with anymore. And, uh, we're looking at a couple of major projects around here where old treated wood is rotted out and needs to be replaced. So, uh, come see what you think of it and we'll see if we can help from there.
19: Okay. Thank you so much.
1: You're sure welcome. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. All right, Don, let's get our last break of the show in, and then we'll be talking to JT. Tell
9: the fish to have no fear. We got a live well full of beer. And we ain't catching nothing but a buzz while we out here. Five-gallon bucket stove. A little leak to keep my feet cool
13: Number three, earn hard sticker on a suit up,
0: old start in and rude On oh, my Jumbo
9: Got a bikini line dockside waiting for a ride On oh, my Jumbo We keep the 12-footer bouncing while we 12 bouncing Music blasting, water splashing Summertime's better cause we get a little
1: I tell you, I don't know how you do it, Don. We, if my good engineer, Don Cooper Stevens, doing engineering, uh, as he does pretty much every other Sunday, we get a fishing song for the last commercial break of the show, and I love it. <laughs> Another new one that we, we haven't heard yet, and, uh, He tells me we're going to have something special for Dr. Kirby's show as well, as much as he loves certain kinds of music. So something to look forward to. Right now, uh, let's get back to the phone calls. Uh, I believe J.T. is up next. Good morning, J.T. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir.
20: Hey, before I ask you if I need to soak onion seeds and if so, for how long, just a quick comment about the tanglefoot.
1: foot. Yeah.
20: Uh, I was keeping ants out of my bee feeders on the pole by using... uh, wheel bearing grease uh-huh it's made for high temps It didn't melt in the in the heat and the worst problem is when we did get rain every now and then spattered dust and dirt up on it and have to clean it a little bit like that sure at least it didn't
1: and just the the bearing grease that we can get at Napa or somewhere like that is what you're using yep worked great i (laughs) i I bet your wife doesn't like seeing you come into the kitchen sink after you've been working with it but uh probably she's used to it over over being used for other things well that's that's uh that's a real good suggestion because i have to repack the bearings on my trailers every now and then and uh i will give it a try and i i do appreciate the suggestions and i guess uh you know everybody in today's world has got lots of those disposable gloves out there and uh even even people who aren't quite as familiar with heavy work as you are could, could handle it without too much of a mess. That sounds really good. I, I thank you for the suggestion. Well,
20: stuff's easier to clean up than the tangled food anyway. But...
1: Uh, you're right about that. <laughs> yes, sir.
20: Now, my real question, do I need to soak onion seeds, and if so, how long, and then what?
1: Well, as you know, onion is a relatively small seed, and it is hard to soak a relatively small seed. If you want to get the best germination, what you do is uh, take a piece of wax paper, or I actually use butcher paper because it's whiter and it's easier to see the seed. And I'll just take, I'll just flatten out a piece of butcher paper, spread my seed on there, and take a little hand mister, uh, put my garret juice solution in that, add a little of extra seaweed to it, and I will just mist over the seed that way. Do that two or three times, and that does uh just as much to get the seed germinating quickly as soaking it will. And yet if you you know it only takes five minutes for it to dry and then you just sort of dust it all back into the package and you're ready to go.
20: Outstanding information as always. Appreciate you being there. Hope you have a good day tomorrow. <laughs> well and thank you very much. I hope you
1: I I hope you do the same as I planned and that is labor as little as possible on Labor Day.
20: <laughs> well, that was good toe tapping music you had there too. So, appreciate
1: well, that. and uh, and Don tells me we got something special to look forward to on Doctor Kirby's show. So leave that radio on. <laughs> I appreciate the call, sir, and I really do appreciate the suggestion. That's great, JT. I do thank you. Uh, anybody else waiting, Don? Okay, Then what? Uh, I'll just remind you of a few things going on out there. Um, Uh, Number one, if you're looking for color, there's absolutely nothing wrong with planting annual plants like periwinkles, like pentas, uh, potato vine. Gosh, and, and some of those really brilliant new colors of periwinkles, I just love them. If you plant the potato vine kind of as a background, especially that lime green. And these are things that love the heat, that do not mind the intense sun. So if you think in your yard looks a little drab, there are things you can do to perk it up. It is too early for petunias. It is too early for snapdragons. It is too early for calendulas. Don't be in a big hurry. And it's it's way too early for pansies and cyclamen and things like that. But there are some annual plants out there that will give you a lot of color that will take the heat that will go right on up to freezing weather. Uh, as far as perennials go, the same thing's true. You could be planting many different salvias, the kufias. You could be planting, uh, oh gosh, firebush. There, there are lots of things that can go in right now. Only a handful of them are really performing in this heat. The ones, at least in our gardens, that are doing best. Plumbago, it's hardly missed a beat. It is absolutely covered with flowers, both the blue form and the white form. Uh, the blue salvias, now the salvia gregii, as uh, hardy as it is, the plants are fine, but it's sure not blooming up to uh, what it normally does. But uh, the, the bluer ones like Spire, mystic spires, indigo spires, Uh, even the uh, Henry Duhlberg, those are just, I mean, absolutely intensely colored, and they are blooming like mad. So there are things that you can plant in perennials right now. Uh, Firebush is absolutely gorgeous out there right now. Some of the tropicals, the Esperanzas, uh, both the compact forms and the big old standard yellow one they call Gold Star, uh, those things can go in the ground now. Pride of Houston, uh, I'm sorry, Pride of Barbados, Uh, If you can find plants that are in bud, I wouldn't hesitate to plant them. Uh, Planting plants without buds, it's getting a little late in the season. We'll see how much time they have to uh, go on out and bloom for you. A lot of these things, uh, when you plant them, it'll be a good idea to mulch them this winter just in case we do have a, a really cold winter, which I don't know if you believe. The Old Farmer's Almanac, we may be pretty cold if you believe that Uh, we're not likely to have, we've had two out of three really cold winters. Hopefully we will not have a, make it three out of four, but, uh, anyway, we'll be talking a lot about mulching as we move on into the fall and there's nothing wrong with fertilizing this time of year, as long as you use organic products. And believe me, your grass out there, your shrubs, your trees, your perennial beds, all of those things really will benefit with some nutrients, uh, in this heat and with organics it is perfectly safe to put them out they do not have to be watered in there's no rush to get out there with the hose like there is with the synthetic products and uh, like I say they're just one of the things you really need to do Um, if you're buying bagged compost this is going to be great to put on spots in your lawn that need a little bit of help and as long as it's bagged it's probably enough finish it's enough broken down that uh, that you can go ahead and use it in the heat the bulk Compost. I'm going to highly recommend that you apply a layer of that in the fall, but it's, it's too early for the bulk compost. We need to knock 20 degrees off the temperature before uh, we do that.